This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Jed McPhee and Flexiboard. Flexiboard is an adjustable height dartboard frame that slides from full height to 150cm and 137cm, opening the game up to allow juniors and wheelchair users to play on the same board against anyone. Perfect for use in the house, pubs or youth academies. Get in touch by searching at Flexiboards on Twitter. If you're looking for a bullseye, make Flexiboards your first stop at Flexiboards on Twitter. Wednesday and you know what that means welcome to episode 41 of the ABZ Football Podcast I'm Gary Scott joining me this week it's Gavin J Baxter making a welcome return to the fold it's Graham Steele gents how's it going fine thank you good now thank you as it turns out there is actually not enough of your spear to take the edge off of yesterday's performance I can confirm still got your notepad though it's all here it's all here all here all yeah. here lovely stuff we'll come on to that in a minute and joining us this week it's the most decorated guest we've had on the show to date. I think it's fair to say. We'll talk about that more in a minute. It's the one and only Neil Fackey, MBE. Neil, welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast. How's it going? Yeah, good, guys. Thanks for having me on. I wish you could have picked a, a better week to have me on, but there haven't been many good ones to pick of late, but here we are. Slim pickings this season. Yep. <laughs> Maybe a better season would have been where to go with that one. In a week that saw Sean Rooney spared us all from finding out if Mark McGee had used his ABZ podcast promo code with Manscaped, that saw Sevco plumb new depths in their cinch version, and that saw Grant Irvin put in quite possibly the worst refereeing performance seen by man. It's another busy episode of the ABZ this week as we take a look at Saturday's dismal defeat at the hands of Livingston. We'll take a look at our upcoming fixture with a presumably starving Mark McGee and Dundee We'll check in on the women's team and their 4-0 defeat at Ibrox in SWPL1. We'll take our regular look at the Loneys and Lone Watch and our young team. And after the break, it's the return of our series of interviews with Don's personalities of past and present. This week, it's part two of our conversation with a man who may eventually sign for Aberdeen in the summer of 2006, making 145 appearances in red, scoring 33 goals in the process. It's the finest groomed player we've spoken to to date. It's Lee Miller. But first, before we get going properly neil it's fair to say we said in the intro there you're probably the most i I said probably there's no doubt about this you are the most decorated guest we've had on the show um just to fill everyone in on this one the small matter of being the holder of two paralympic gold medals two paralympic silver medals a four-time commonwealth gold medalist a 14-time world championship gold medalist the current world record holder in the b1000 meter time trial a recipient of an mbe in 2013 but more important than all of that you're a massive Aberdeen fan as well. Yeah, from my sense, it's been a, a good career, but um, yeah, some of my, uh, my my high and low lights have been spent at Pataudry, to be fair. And uh, you know, there's loads of those trips when I'm away racing and stuff. I'm always obviously trying to keep up with the, the dawn scores and, and see how we're going. And I don't get to Pataudry as much as I'd like to now because I'm based down south with British Cycling. But, you know, when I can, uh, I like to come back and, and catch up with the team. Absolutely. And hey, listen, we're not going to we're not going to do a test. That's not what we do on here, but we'll have a bit of a chat just about your Aberdeen fandom quickly, just before we get into the 
the nitty gritty of um of the weekend. Uh, you're pretty much ages with us because you, you were born in 1984, so mm. you're a year younger than myself and Graham, a wee bit older than, than Gav. So, like us, you'll have missed the vast majority of the glory days of the 80s. Um, can you kind of pinpoint or recollect where your kind of love of the dawn started? Yeah, like you say, you, you heard about all those glory years, and there was still that slight bit of success, I guess, as we were we were pretty young. You know, we were still up there towards the top of the league through the 80s. I guess, I mean, I was surrounded by by supporters. My uncle was a massive fan. He went every week and he was a, a big Joe Harper fan from back in his day and always was trying to get me into the Dons. And um, I went when I was quite young. My first match, I remember, was a midweek game against Motherwell, which we, we lost 2-1, I think. Um, and actually, the first 10 matches I went to, we lost every single match. So then I was banned from going for at least, it must have been five or 10 years. I was sort of an outcast. Um, and I think that made me love the Dons more because I, I couldn't get it. I couldn't go in and watch it because my family just forbid me from going, not realising that actually it was the team who were terrible and not me. <laughs> I think there's a lot of people looking at us now going, like, you guys start this podcast at the start of the season. It's your fault. It's been so shit. Yeah. I mean, I don't blame you guys, to be fair, but it has been one of the worst seasons I've known since uh, since that almost relegation. I, I'm using that word because I'm hoping that it's just an almost again this year. Way back in the day when we had the playoff back then, hopefully not a playoff this year. But if you guys are to blame, then yeah, well, thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> You're very welcome. Uh, by the way, just on that note of almost relegation, touch wood. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Neil, uh, your first proper footballing hero from Aberdeen and who would go down as your all-time favourite Dons player? Um, I guess my, my first hero was probably Scott Booth. I'm thinking back to, to who kind of came first, but there's quite a few players around that time. But I was a big uh, Scotty Booth fan. I mean, back when we could score goals, uh, he was always around there. And then went off to, to Dortmund, wasn't it, of all transfers? Was it Dortmund he ended up or No, was it in the Netherlands? I forget now. Dortmund. Um, yeah, it was. Yeah. It's, it's so unbelievable. It blows my mind. But yeah, what a, what a man he was. And then... Um, you know, it was very much a, an Ian Jess fan throughout the decades. And I have to say also a Stephen Glass fan, which I was hoping, hoping so much this season would go better because I've got so many fond memories of, of Stephen Glass, including the man of the match winning the bike in the uh, the League Cup. Was that the semi-final he got the man of the match with the yeah, Coca-Cola bike? That was the, the final against Dundee. It was the final, yeah, God. Um yeah, I mean, of all the, the prizes, that was that was a winner. But yeah, it wasn't to be this season. So good luck to him. I hope he has a, a bright future, but not not with us. If they could whack out that bike from the uh, from the AFC shed, do you reckon you might be taking that one onto the, the velodrome track anytime soon, Neil? No, I was trying to think back. I'm, I'm assuming it was a terrible bike. Um, <laughs> I, feel like it, I feel like it was logered up and uh, I'm, I'm guessing it was pretty cheap, to be fair. So I'll probably give it a miss. But I mean, it would it'd be pretty special, wouldn't it? be amazing i reckon you should i reckon like maybe even like retirement one i think you should just get fully kitted out in the don's gear the coca-cola spinner on the back go for it all right we'll set it up that'd be it we're not going to pay for that i should point out <laughs> no and um i don't think many people would pay to see it either to be fair <laughs> we would we would <laughs> so what's been your uh your favorite aberdeen game or or moment oh that's a, a good question i mean um i very much enjoyed that uh, European run back in 2007 when we were in the group stage with the five-team group. Yeah. That was a, a real good point. Um, I mean, we're, we're kind of going back to that that League Cup in 95. That was the first silverware I really remember us winning. I don't know if we'd won anything 
for that. Um, but yeah, actually been out on on Union Street as the parade happened, the guys coming down, it was absolutely peeing it down with rain. I remember that. I had a massive flag that was soaking and I was waving it about, hitting everyone around me who were were pretty annoyed with it. But yeah, I remember in that moment was was a real highlight, to be fair. Um, but it was one year, I'm trying to think which year it was, when we were playing Rangers on the last day of the season, we needed to beat them to get into Europe. And we won 2-0. Uh, and I remember being sat in the Richard Donald stand watching that with all the uh, the mad guys up in the, where all the ultras used to sit, I think, up in the, the top t- top tier. Um, what year would that have been? It must have been around mid-2000s anyway. That was a cracking game. And I'll, I'll definitely remember that moment. Although I can't remember the year. I can remember that moment. I think it's all six or seven, isn't it? It's called, it's the Coldwood season that we got into Europe. Uh, yeah, I might have set up that run, yeah. I think it, I think it is with that one. It was a Seve with a 30-yard and that's Steve it. Lovell. That's that one. Um, more on that, I was going to say more on that later, but not really because Lee Miller, we, we spoke about in part one, but the European run there is in part two of the Lee Miller interview coming up later on in the show. With your um, cycling career, Neil, amongst also being a best-selling author, we should point out as well, um, we can also shill that later on if you, if you wish to. What's the greatest length you think you've had to go to to kind of catch up on what's what's going on at Pataudry? Um, I mean, obviously there's, there's a lot of time difference issues and trying to struggle to, to listen to matches. I'm trying to think when, I mean, a lot of the, the big games that matter in the summer when we're on, on off-season or occasionally just starting our, our European qualifications, actually thinking about it. And I'm always hoping <laughs> that we'll still be in Europe by the time I actually get home from these uh, these games I have. Uh, obviously, that's not a worry this coming season. But, um, but yeah, it's been a, it's always a bit of a struggle to keep up. But um, it's when you're mid-race and like, our sprint event is the course of the day uh, where you have sort of qualified in the morning, a series of like quarterfinals, semis and finals throughout the whole course of the day. And obviously you got to be focused on what you're doing, but if the Dons were playing and um, you can have in that, that sneaky peek, I feel like there's been a few times I've been racing when we've been in cup ties and stuff as well. And I'm kind of checking my phone just subtly in track center. And it used to be a rule we weren't allowed to use our phones at all, but that seems to have changed with the Instagram generation that I've come through. But uh yeah, checking up on results while you're you're mid uh, mid race, and then inevitably getting the, the news. It doesn't fill you with the uh, the confidence to go out and, and win your event. But yeah, that's part of being a Don's fan. Speaking of part of being a Don's fan, why don't you tell us your feelings on the season to date? I mean, I think like you guys, I had real high hopes when we uh, came out against Hecken at the start of the season and uh, in European qualification and looked like a mighty team. I remember. Uh, the phenomenal jet signing. I thought, here, here we go. We're uh, we're off and running, and it's been bleak, getting bleaker and bleaker and bleaker throughout. I don't know the way I look at it. Like, I feel like still on paper, I see a team that are capable of achieving pretty decent things, um, but for whatever reason, just seem lost on the pitch half the time. I feel like that. There's been all this talk about creating this culture at the club, and um, I just don't see it. Like, uh, one thing I do. As I work with um, with businesses to try and create high performance culture, as much like we've got a British cycling. And if I was to walk into a business and see them sort of performing the way the Dons have this season, I'd, you know, all these flags would be raised. I'd be thinking, man, there's a lot here we could change to to make things better, more efficient, and just increase that spirit around the place. And I don't know, it just seems seems a bit dark. And uh, obviously, confidence drops as, as defeats start rolling in, but. Yeah, it's been disappointing. And also a year where I feel like every other team in the league has been gifting us an opportunity every week. Like 
the fact we could have still qualified for Europe up until so late in the season, despite the fact we're playing so bad, but we just never take those opportunities. So ah, it's, it's frustrating, isn't it? Yeah, I think your thoughts are very similar to ours, especially your last point. It felt like every week went by, everyone else was shooting themselves in the feet. And you think, right, I mean, we're only talking literally one or two victories and we could have scraped our way out of this uh, and inevitably, you know, we just don't. And now we find ourselves in this um, slightly worrying situation. So I was going to say moving on from the season, but focusing towards the end, maybe what are your thoughts on Jim Goodwin? Maybe more around what you thought when he was appointed and maybe what you've seen today, albeit it's pretty trying circumstances to to change the fortunes in a relatively short number of games. Yeah, I mean, it was never a, a role I think many people would want to come into, is it, when the, the team's not not there, it's not performing. But don't know, we all kind of hope there's that, that element where the team want to up their game because a new manager's coming in. And I don't think we've really seen that. No one's really fighting for their place. And course it's all this fiasco of people being told they're they're not going to have a place next season already and can't get my head around some of those uh those leaks and stories coming out as well it doesn't help team spirit in the slightest but you'd have to say it's not it's not been a good start and um I don't know when Jim was appointed it's one of those it doesn't really fill me with like the club showing huge ambition by any means but you know he's he'd done well at St Mirren um I certainly give him the benefit of the doubt and over the summer, maybe he can make some changes for sure, but it's uh, it's been a really poor start and there's not a lot of fight for him in the in the dressing room at the moment. Just on that, uh, Neil, have the club ever, I'm, I'm, I presume I already know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask you anyway, have they ever kind of reached out to you to look at, you know, the stuff that you do do with businesses? You know, because you do a lot of good work in that area there and it's, I always think, I spoke to, who was it we spoke to about this before? It's Laura Montgomery, who's the, um, the, the, the co-founder of Glasgow City. And obviously they do so much good work in like the local community in Glasgow with young girls and stuff. And I'd asked her if like, you know, the Scottish government, for example, had ever reached out to them about how do they do this really well at such a grassroots level to encourage, especially young, young women and girls to get into sport. And I was astonished that they were like, nah, no one's ever come and knocked on our door to even question how we've kind of gone to this. But I'm just thinking now, obviously you're a well-known Aberdeen fan. Have the club ever reached out any, anything there? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've done a little bit of work with the community trust doing some, done some stuff, but not the team itself, no. Um, <laughs> I'd love to do stuff like that. I mean, obviously, as a, a big fan, that would be amazing. But uh, yeah, no, I don't know. I, I'd be intrigued to know how the players would react to someone coming in from, from another sport, whether they'd see that as a, someone they'd listen to or whether they'd kind of think, well, you know, you don't know much about, about our sport, about football. But oh, I'd love to. That'd be such a cool challenge. So yeah, if you want to put in a good word for me, feel free. <laughs> hey, if we had any good goodwill or good sway in there I would I would pass it on I don't think we'd do it to be fair but there we go I was just intrigued by it um because I think what you're saying there as well but it's interesting this idea about crossover from different sports because obviously British cycling had that huge what's this incremental gains idea and I've always thought that for clubs like Aberdeen especially with the budgets that we have it's not as though we can go ahead and just you know suddenly improve performance by 15 20 percent across the season because we just don't have the budget to be able to do that it's all about for us those marginal gains, those incremental gains that we can try and make and the, the cumulative effect of those can suddenly become something quite special. And I, just, I never feel like we've really kind of looked at some of those concepts that you can see from other sports. Yeah, I think you're right. Like, I mean, I'm sure there are some members within the, the kind of backroom staff who are thinking outside the box, doing different things. But I was amazed when I joined British like from the sort of level they'd go to. So there's like things, um, the mechanics room at British Cycling, they painted the floor bright white. And the idea being that 
you know, if they spot any dust or grease or whatever, they'll clean it up straight away because you see it on a white floor. And the thought behind that was any dust or, or grime getting into the bikes working. So just take that little bit of performance out of the equipment. And just that kind of thinking about things to that detail. It doesn't take a lot of money. It just takes thinking about it and doing things the right way. And, you know, that's something I've seen in lots of areas where you're not thinking about the, uh, the performance of the athletes necessarily. The coaches and I think I've got that covered, but just those areas that could make life easier, make performance better. And yeah, I'm sure there are people at Don's doing that, but I think we can always learn from different sports, different industries. And that's something the, the Olympic and Paralympic sports do a lot of is that we go and, you know, there'll be people from British cycling go and visit British rowing or British swimming, whoever it is. And there's a lot of that discussion between the different sports and learning different lessons. And I guess football's always been that kind of standalone sports lately where often I think things have been done because that's the way it's always been done. And, you know, maybe a bit of freshen up does go a long way and there are teams that do it and, and get the results to be fair. Absolutely. Listen, let's, let's move on. Let's have a look at yesterday's game. Aberdeen won, Livingston two, the Pataudry Stadium, SPFL Premiership, the 23rd of April, 2022. Jim Goodwin with one change to the starting lineup from the dismal defeat against Ross County last time out. Jack McKenzie coming back into the team in place of Christian Ramirez. The Dons lining up in what appeared to be a 4-3-3 formation. Marley Watkins in the number nine role, supported on the flanks by Hayes and Bajewin. Dons actually kind of came out of the traps quite well, I thought. Kind of pegged the visitors back into their box for the opening 15, 20 minutes. Efforts from McCrory, Hayes, Ojo, Watkins, all missing the target. But then, lo and behold, it was the visitors who actually came closest to opening the scorer on the half-hour mark. Joe Nubley's cross in from uh, the left-hand side, deflected goalwards by David Bates, and only Joe Lewis's face stopped the Dons from conceding an own goal there. 38 minutes, the major talking point of the game Strychek claiming a McCrory header from a corner as he's attempted to make a quick throw. Bajowin's blocked his path. The Levy keepers responded by smashing ball and fist into the Dutchman's face. But bizarrely, uh, referee, resident clown for the afternoon, Grant Irvin, chose to book the Aberdeen player instead of sending off the Polish goalkeeper. And Aberdeen's anger was compounded just three minutes later. Shinny cutting in off the left-hand side, his effort looping off of Ojo. In the path of Bailey, his header was well saved by Lewis, but it was Nicky Devlin quickest to react to prod home. And the Lions went into the break, a goal to the good. Now, all being told, second half was a copy and paste of pretty much every other review we've done this season. Loads of possession against the side, more than happy to sit back with the Dons kind of creating little in the way of actual clear-cut opportunities. Some efforts from Mackenzie, Galker and Hayes, all pretty speculative before, but once again... Aberdeen architects of our own downfall. Shinny latching onto a clever through ball from Bailey, positioned himself well between Ojo and the goal, with the merest of touches hit the deck. Irvin more than happy to oblige, and it was Graham's favourite midfielder, the unbookable Jason Holt, who stepped up to dispatch the penalty high, clipping the bar beyond Joe Lewis. Declan Garker was drawn at this point for Ramirez, uh, then Jenks came on for McKenzie. I'm going to be honest, I have no idea what formation we were playing at this point. It looked like a 3-5-2, I'm not sure who'd back three were. We'll come up with that later on. Primary school, everyone chased the ball. Pretty much. Worse was to come. Ten minutes later, Ross McCrory picked up his second booking after a lazy challenge on your man, Graham, Jason Holt. And with just 12 minutes remaining, the Dons were two down and a man down. Ramsey then replacing Watkins on 86 minutes as the game was just petering out. Dons grabbed a consolation, which I'd completely forgotten about last night when I tweeted something. I'd actually completely forgotten we'd scored a goal. That's how unmemorable this was. Lewis Ferguson hauled down in the box by Obelai 
Ferguson stepped up himself to fire home his 10th goal of the campaign, which ties him with Ramirez now in the league. Full-time quickly arrived after that. Don's falling to our third defeat in the last five. We remain only one win in the league in 2022. Results elsewhere mean we still remain on ninth. Uh, 10 points cleared of Dundee in 12th, five cleared of St. Johnston in 11th, and we remain level on points with St. Mirren. Gents, your thoughts on that one yesterday? To add to the statistic of only one win in the league in 2022, Sky tweeted that we are the only team in Britain in league football to not keep a clean sheet in 2022 as well. I think they are being selective about the leagues they've chosen for this, but never, notwithstanding The point that, still stands. It's still not great. <laughs> Whether the fact is right or not, the, f- the point is nobody here instantly thought, nah, that can't be the case. We were all thinking, oh yeah, we absolutely have been conceding every week. Despite the fact our defensive record in the league actually this season, from in terms of the sheer number of goals we've conceded, is not by any means the worst. We are the worst team in the league for clean sheets. We've only we've only kept four all season. The nearest to us in that are teams that have got seven clean sheets. That includes the likes of Dundee, who shipped fifty odd goals this season. It's it's absolute madness. Anyway, sorry, I'm I'm digressing. I'm chatting again. Thoughts on yesterday? Well, Neil's the guest, so I'll let him go first. First and foremost, the. Uh... The whole uh, booking of uh, showing was uh, was just insane. Um, it'd, be, it'd be easy to talk about the, the referee, and of course, and, and blame that on the result. But I think we could all agree uh, we just weren't good enough, which is um, is a disappointing side of it, really. I mean, I, I'd love to be one of those Don fans who can moan about the ref all day long, and it was their fault, but it just just wasn't in this situation. I don't think. I mean, it is laughable though. Yeah, let's get the let's get the notes out from yesterday. I I agree. It's another game where the refereeing has been. It's as bad a refereeing performance as I can think of. Um, I'm going back to maybe Maribor away for competition, oh, yeah. <laughs> which you know at least two people that were on the pitch that day think something was if he was up. So mm-hmm. it's not the greatest look for what's this guy's name? Grant Irvin. Grant Irvin. It was his tenth ever top flight game yesterday. Six of those involved Livingston. Uh, now I'm not conspiracy theorizing here at all but I'm, I'm wondering if maybe they've sussed out how to how to influence him and his decision making processes by punching our players in the face <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean like i say, I, I would love likewise to be here and say that that's the reason and you know obviously strike runs out he auditions to be on the undercard of the tyson fury fight <laughs> and the ref sees it, clear as day, he's like less than 10 yards away, sees it and comes to the conclusion that, yes, Bajewin has made the foul. He did actually book Strychek as well. He did book Strychek, which I find bizarre. Which makes me want to see the match report from the referee to see what did he decide had happened there. But hey. yeah, um, but yeah, that's, I mean, obviously they go 10, down to 10 men. We score the penalty, the game changes, but it doesn't change that the point that that happens because we started well. It was a bright start, I thought. But then this incident happens. We lose focus. The guy behind me said in the exact words, listen, they're going to go score now. Yeah, I know. And 30 seconds later, lo and behold, ball goes in. Lewis makes the save. Livingston player gets to the rebound first. Same thing that happened all game. Every loose ball a Livingston player felt like they won. And it's been the same all season. We were... All too predictable in our attacking. It was the worst elements of this season. All in one game again. Yeah, Livy players wanted it more. That's simple as that. And I got the impression from a number of our players that they're almost broken. 
so lacking in confidence. You could see so many of them just wanted rid of the ball as soon as it came to them. The safe option, get me the hell out of here. So yeah, looking over our shoulder again, even more so now. Five points is the gap to St. Johnston. Six really, but it doesn't really matter anymore because that goal difference doesn't really, it doesn't really play into the equation any longer um, from, from the perspective it did a couple of weeks ago because obviously at six points, they could easily catch it and they could be level with us. At five, they're going to either catch us and overtake us or they're not going to catch us, one of the two. Graham, obviously you weren't at the game yesterday, but I'm presuming you've taken the opportunity to look at the lowlights. Uh, yeah, I was going to say I've watched the highlights. I've attempted to find the footage. It's probably a more accurate way to describe it. <laughs> to, to be honest, jokes aside from you know what everyone said, you don't need to because you just know how the game has gone. I know Neil's made good points about the referee, but he's absolutely right. That's not the out, you know, that didn't result in us losing that that match. It's just a carbon copy of most of this season. There's times where like it doesn't look like the players are bad players but this team is just not functioning as a team. Like you were saying, you know, I re, you know if, it's, if they're functioning as a team, they're all going to be taking the ball and looking for a teammate in a pass. And they're all going to be helping each other out. Whereas too many of them, and I can understand it, but but too many of them say, well, I don't want to be the one that gets into trouble. So if I just get rid of it, it's someone else's problem. It's a bit like that hot potato game when you're younger. You know, he, you, know you just don't want to be the last one holding it. Um, it's just really frustrating. And I'm, I'm genuinely quite, alarmed that this pattern has continued for so long and is continuing. I thought, regardless of my thoughts on Goodwin, you genuinely expect the new manager bounce, don't you? And if we'd got that for even just two or three victories, ignoring that we might have got Europe or top six, we probably wouldn't be as panicky and looking over our shoulders would be saying, look, season's been garbage, but it's almost done. We're not in any danger. Let's look forward. Whereas you just cannot be looking forward right now. You're just looking over your shoulder. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, we'll come back to the Goodwin thing in a minute. I think uh, I, I, there was two things which just that amused me greatly that I saw yesterday online. Um, one was somebody was asking, "But we should get VAR if we'd had VAR." Yes, we'd be a totally different game. It's like, well, aye, but if we'd had VAR, that game would have lasted about four days with the amount of times I had to go and check things because just some I, again, I don't want to blame the referee for yesterday's defeat. It, it wasn't the sole cause of why we lost yesterday. It certainly didn't help. Some of the decision making was just. Astonishing. Sorry. Please try to get the dog out now. <laughs> it's a professional outfit, this Neil. Yeah, we are. Happens yeah, yeah. <laughs> the best of us, let's be honest. <laughs> um I think he's out now. All good. Um the second one is always and this goes back to what Graham was saying about and Graham, you've been banging this drum all seasons about how like we don't your your feel is that we don't have a bad team. We don't have a set of bad players. I did see somebody yesterday, I don't know who it was, and my apologies, I should be crediting you for this. But as they kind of said, it was like, it was almost as though we've got all the pieces for a jigsaw, but they're from all different jigsaws. And I was like... That's pretty good. Yeah. I was like, that, that is absolutely bang on, I think. There's just so many parts of our squad, which I think individually are, they're decent, but as a collective unit, they just do not mesh together at all. I, I'm just going to be like, not, not nearly as clever. I'm just going to say that we've been banging this drum for 40 weeks now and every passing game, they just make us look like a bunch of wankers. This is true. This is true. I even said to you yesterday, Gab, I mean, maybe this is an opportune time to turn to Goodwin a little bit. Um, you already talked about it. You had been hoping for some form of new manager bounce. It, it's not happened for us at all. The last two games now, the Ross County game and now this game here, and again, for the points of doubt, before people on Twitter start like 
calling me a maniac and all sorts of things. This is not me at the point yet of saying Goodwin is has to go and he's not good enough. He needs to be given, I think, the summer at least to see who he brings in and try and get a squad together that he wants in the door and all that. That's 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 absolutely the case. But I would have been expecting to see maybe a little bit more in terms of a level of improvement from the coaching side of things. He's he's landed quite lucky when he came in the door that we've had at least we've had two international breaks and the cup semi-final break last week. So he's had three windows of of fortnights, if you want, to try and work on the training ground, to try and get things sorted out. Uh, we talked about last week, the, the the statement when he came in the door that sorting the defence out will be a piece of cake, or worse, that effect looks more and more foolish as the weeks go by. But there's something about the tactics, choices in terms of like substitutions and stuff. That's two weeks in a row now I've been left scratching my head about the way we've set up and the substitutions we're making, and the, the, the points at which we're making them. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it goes back to, and what under glass, I never understood what were we trying to do, because we say we can't attack, we don't score enough goals, but we can see daft goals. So we're not particularly defensive, yet sometimes you would think that because we're quite slow and we're quite passive, and we're not particularly aggressive, we're playing on the front foot, because we don't really put teams under a great deal of pressure. We don't score a lot of goals. And this just feels kind of the same. It just kind of looks like a man who's, you know, he has just kind of arrived and he's he's been given a set of players. I don't quite think he f- he's figured out what he wants to do with them. I'll be honest, I thought he would come in and we probably would be quite, or we would be harder to beat. And to be honest, where we were, I'd have settled that Um settled for that because even if we just picked up an extra couple of points again it goes back to you're not looking forward but you're not necessarily looking over your shoulder so much but it just doesn't seem to know what what, what does he want to do with this team um, and that's the bit that's a little bit alarming like if, I always imagine it's easier to set up a team to be defensive and stuffy but we don't seem to be able to do that yeah at least um, at least Glass had a, a striker who wanted to play for him as well which was an added oh. bonus you know I think as you say, if you can't be defensive, you, you need to at least be scoring goals. And that seems to have completely dried up now. Um, I mean, that wasn't a help with the, the January window where we were left with no one coming in as backup. And, and now we've got a, a man who's lost his form. And, uh, you know, what do you do? We're, we're, we're stuck. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, I think if you're coming in the team, you've got to be getting the players on your side. And, and I just don't see it. I don't, I don't know why. The January business looks worse and worse with every passing game as well. And the decision to let Ryan Hedges go with no replacement is just criminal. I know maybe you wanted to go, but for the benefit of the team, I think maybe we should have just stood firm and said, listen, you can go to Blackburn in the summer. Yeah, sign your pre-contract if you want. but Because it's too it's too big an ask for Bajouin to come in and do that role at the age he is coming into a new league. Um, Adam Montgomery clearly hasn't been anywhere near the level Marley Watkins was injured, I'm pretty sure, in January, so we knew he yeah, was, was out long-term. Yeah. So that decision is just horrendous. I suspect Goodwin came into this team, into the role as manager, thinking the same as us, thinking this is not a bad group of players. I just need to get the confidence and a little bit of structure, and we'll get some results here. And he's probably found out in pretty harsh terms what he's actually been left with. I'm not on the line of thinking that Jim Goodwin is in danger or should be under pressure. I think he's inherited an awful situation left behind by the previous regime. At the same time, though, if, and it's, again, if we go down, Jim Goodwin will not be managed next season. Uh, he couldn't be. There's no chance he could be. 
he needs to figure out whatever he needs to do to get this team working. It becomes more and more like you, I don't know how many times we spoke about the January window on here and I, I kind of don't want to go back down the old ground again with it. But what it does do, it really calls into question a, a decision not, if, if they were going to, if they were going to bend Stephen Glass off, it calls into question why was that not done either before the January window opened or during it where a new manager could come in and could potentially do something with the squad look at the squad around them and, and decide, right, I need to get A, B and C in the door, even just to try and get us to the end of the season and get us through. If, you, if you're not going to do that and you're going to leave the squad the way it was, like, why not just leave glass in situ till the end of the season? Like, this is being brutally honest with, with this now. We are not any better. In fact, I will argue we are actually look a worse football team at this moment in time than we did at the back end of the Stephen Glass era. I'm not saying results would have been any different, but this is not better by any stretch of the imagination. And I would argue it's worse. I mean, uh, Gavin's shaking his head. I can see he doesn't agree with me on this one. I don't know, Graham, I don't know, Neil, what your view is, but this is this is worse. It's not. It's it's the same. This, these are the words of someone who wasn't at St. Johnston or Motherwell at home this season. <laughs> I feel like we're, we're basically splitting hairs here. It was woeful before, and it's still woeful. It's woefuler. It's, it's just nowhere near, it was nowhere near good enough before. No. Even though everyone here wanted it to work, and some of us actually, you know, pretty optimistic, like Neil said early on at the start of the season, and I'm, you know, I was a bit like, well, my opinion seems Neil that Goodwin was not particularly exciting or inspiring choice. That doesn't mean he's not good enough and it won't work out. I just wasn't particularly enthusiastic at the time. I did expect to get the traditional bounce, which would have taken us a little further up the table and that would have probably been enough. We might have been sitting here with a slightly different perspective on things, but it kind of doesn't matter whether keeping glass or this is better or worse. It's just nowhere near good enough and we just have to, fingers crossed, get another three or somehow six points out of the rest of the season and we can hopefully next season um, be looking back and laughing at the fact that we were so far down the table, hopefully. And like Neil says as well, glass had the benefit of having a striker who hadn't chucked it. That's a very good point and it's really quite disappointing to see, actually, I think, I mean, I, you're Neil, your team sports, if if you've got someone that just kind of takes that attitude because they don't like what's happened or someone's gone, it must be pretty damning and pretty frustrating because you know, there's only so much you can do about it. And as you mentioned, you're pretty much stuck with them on the basis that there's, there is nobody else. Yeah, and I think, uh, you know, as Don's fans, we all fell in love with Ramirez. We all want him to, to be back where he was scoring goals and um, we want him, we want him to, to want us, you know, it feels like that relationship where you, you love someone that doesn't love you back just now. So I don't know, maybe there's a way we can win him over somehow, but I'd, I'd be gutted if he's off as well. I mean, he was the one shining light at the start of the season. I'm putting that on the basis of that podcast that was tweeted about where he was, I believe, complaining about the weather. Oh, I need to bring abuse, up. Abuse on Twitter, quote unquote, and... What was it again? Uh, he couldn't get his head around why we were complaining about draws. Which brings me to the question, when, when have we ever drawn a game this season? <laughs> no, I think we've got the, the lowest draw stat in the league, actually, to be honest. Or fucking take some draws this season. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> Graham, you'll also enjoy this, because this will be a massive being Graham's bond right now. You had to go about the beach, Graham. That's my absolute head in. Said it's a beach, but it's not really much of a beach, was, I think, the exact quote. I have zero time, especially for these people who've got Google images, people's Instagrams, all the rest of it. It has sand and it has water. That is the legal definition of a beach. Yes, it's cold. No, <laughs> you're not going to have your budgie smugglers on and have your family out there 
enjoying hours in the sun, but it is a beach. And if you haven't done your research, the joke's on you, not on me. When I heard the podcast yesterday, started this in the beach, the first thing I thought was, I need to get a scent to Graham. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like that pod is not, it's not great. Um, I'm going to, am I going to encourage people to go and listen to it? Yes, I'll encourage people to go and listen to it. I think it's called Orange Slices or something. It's like two, it's an American player who plays in Belgium, I think, and, and a guy who's still based in the States. They've got Ramirez on. I'm interested to know if they ran this past, if he ran this past the club, to be honest. I think this is the second time he's done that podcast. Uh, I think it was a different one before, but anyway. The reason I'm saying that is because we know that the club are very reluctant to allow access to unofficial media to interview the current players. Maybe that's just us, though. It's probably just us. To, to talk to current players, current staff, etc. Um, so I'm interested to know if they knew that this was happening and then if they've had any opportunity to vet what was said because some of it's he's 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 being honest like he's 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 obviously talking in a in a transparent manner but some of it's a bit like uh, I don't think I would have necessarily said that if that was getting you know going to get thrown out there yeah listen he's I don't know it's it's pretty clear to me he's 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 not exactly loving life at the moment in Aberdeen. Um, Obviously, the family have gone back to the States. He was very evasive in the pod about how long they're going to be away for, which was interesting. He kind of caught himself halfway through, but oh, they'll be away for, I don't know when, at least until the off-season. And I was like, that sounds like a man who knows he's going back to the States uh, in the summer. I mean, it's, it's disappointing all around how this is kind of played out. Um, on the on the Goodwin piece, Neil, you, you kind of touched on it. And again, I'm kind of interested to get your take on this even from that kind of like business perspective, I guess, you, you, you talked about it. When you come in the door, you kind of want to get everyone on side very quickly and believing in you and believing in your ideas and your philosophies and all that kind of stuff. I'm not entirely convinced that this has happened. And I am becoming week on week more concerned that the, I don't want to say bull in a china shop approach, but I'm going to say that with regards to turfing people out, making it very clear some people were not wanted. We know for a fact that there are people who've been told their contracts are not getting renewed in the summer already. Is that potentially having an effect around the team in terms of their willingness to play for the manager, team spirit, morale, all that kind of good stuff, do you think? Look, it's nice to know, I guess, what your future is ahead of time so you can sort things out for next season. But um, you know, it would be even hard to, to get players knowing that at this point you need to fight for your contract next year and, and let, them, let them play for it because some of them will probably step up and um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think it almost goes higher where you speak about bringing in the manager and their philosophy, whatever that looks like within a club. I, I don't really know as someone on the outside. But you then want to bring in a manager who who fits that mold. I guess Glass was that, that person originally. Presumably Goodwin fits in with that, whatever this grand plan is as well. Otherwise, I don't know why you, you would take him in. But it just gets the feeling where I, I don't know if the players know what the philosophy is and no one seems to to understand what why they're they're playing for the club, what they're fighting for. I don't know. It just just doesn't doesn't all add up to me. And and then to be telling players they're they're out the door. I mean, and we're gonna have to rely on some of these guys potentially in these last few matches to to step up. I mean, we're talking about a team that can't keep a clean sheet and we're we're throwing Considine out the door, which breaks my heart as a, a Don's fan. But you know, I guess uh, I guess these things happen in football sometimes. No, I think it's all valid. I feel like it must create a slightly unsettled atmosphere. Because everyone's, I don't know, I guess you could go two ways. You could be like, right, I might be at the door anyway, but I really get stuck in because, you know, I'm only as good as my next contract type idea. Or you might be like, well, I've got a year left. You can't touch me. 
or I'm getting my money and I'm going, or you might just, I don't know, just my son settle some people. You see the way maybe your colleague's been treated. I just feel like um, it sounds horrible, but maybe use them, throw the, dangle the carrot till we get over the line at the end of the season uh, and then take it away. And, you know, I don't know, a couple of guys might change your mind and maybe reduces the number of players you need to sign in the window. And if you've already made up your mind and you eke a little bit extra out of them and that's what we need, then, you know, kind of your job as the manager is not necessarily to be everyone's pals and looking out for everyone. Your job is to get points on the board. Yeah, exactly where I am. Give it the bulk standard cliche. Everyone's fighting for their future. Everyone's got an opportunity. And then, yeah, evaluate at the end of the season. You might already have made up your mind. You know, it's um, a business, not not personal. It's just got to be done for the for the good of the team. I think what's happened here is complacency has set in where he's thought so Johnston and Dundee are cutting adrift enough that we can start making plans and making it almost public to sort of get people on side that he's going to be ruthless. But yeah, and Andrew Constantine's the, the perfect example of that. I know he's away, but against Dundee, Constantine's got to start in my book. I don't think he will. I, I can't see Constantine starting. I can't see Constantine playing a minute of football between now and the end of the season unless there's injuries or suspensions kick in i mean the thing is as well i saw some people talk about this today on twitter like challenging the, this, this idea about how well these are guys who haven't played all season so what difference does it make if some of these guys who are not even really in the team at the moment are being told they're not being kept and i was like well that's, that's a fair point to an extent but at the same time it's a team sport these are these guys are going to be there's probably friendships in that dressing room there's guys like like look, look jet jet was hopeless right all season, right? No beating about the bush on that one. A terrible signing. Apart from Hecken. Apart from Hecken. And 10 minutes against Wraith Rovers. Um, but he struck me as being a good guy to have around the dressing room. I think a lot of the players liked him. You know, I think that he had that personality, etc. in the dressing room, maybe to, I don't know, relax people a little bit, whatever. There, there was something there, I think. guy. If, if you're a guy like, if you're a guy in the dressing room, and you watch the way that Considine has been shunted out the door in such a public manner, a guy with the level of service that he's had at Aberdeen Football Club, you're kind of probably sitting there thinking, oh, if that's how they treat a guy who's been here for this length of time, like, what are they going to do with me? I, I just don't think it... I, I can't imagine it creates a dressing room of happy people with a sense of morale and who are all wanting to fight for the shirt and fight for the badge. And I think you're seeing that on a Saturday. It doesn't look to me like a team that's a happy team. Yeah, I agree to an extent, but also I think it is a valid point to make that there's been plenty of occasions beforehand where we've seen evidence of players not fighting for each other or the badge. So yeah, there's something more deep-rooted here than Jib Goodwin's man-management skills, let's call it that. Um, you know, I'm thinking back to that Dundee game in October. It was gutless. So yeah. it's a mentality and a fragility that's been allowed to ferment within the club. I guess the, the the thing I would say about that, the counter on that I was I would suggest that Gab is that after that Dance Park game, it, I think it's been well trailed now that Cormac was probably going to pull the trigger on Glass at that point, and it took a number of the first team squad to go to 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 Stephen Gunn to Dave Cormac and ask him not to do it and and give him more time because there was a bit of a togetherness I think in the squad at that point that I think they recognised they weren't executing on the pitch as well as they could do. Glass was well liked as a coach by most of the first team, from what we understand. There was maybe question marks about his ability as a manager, but he was well-liked as in terms of a, an individual and as a coach. The guys liked working under him. There was that level of team there, you know, and I, I just don't see it right now. And that was evident for about three games, and then we were back to normal. 
yeah, and that's also true. That is that is also true. It's 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 an interesting dynamic, and I'm just, I think you're right. I think that there's been an element of complacency that we were too far ahead of St. Johnson and Dundee. We weren't really going to get sucked into this, so we can start just doing it, and it's kind of starting to to backfire badly potentially. Anyway, um, that's probably enough about the Livingston match. I think barely talked about it actually. <laughs> I know, well, because there's not very much to talk about. Um, if you had to select a top dawn out of yesterday, <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll tell you what, um, Connor McLennan looked good at halftime. <laughs> Angus the bull. I don't care. Yeah, no one. I haven't seen much of the highlights, if I'm honest. Not much I've seen was as much to talk about. I have to say, from the, the few games I have seen, not judging just yesterday, I have been impressed with, with Connor Barron. I don't know how he got on yesterday, but for a young lad coming into the squad, I think he's done done pretty well in a team that's been so poor. Um, yeah. one, one person that's kind of brought a shining light, I think. Thought Conor Band did okay yesterday, actually. Difficult shift again from quite physical midfield. Put himself about. I mean, he, he went in, he went for a heavy with Joel Nubley, who Nubley must be about probably twice the height of Conor Barron. Oh, two feet at least. Yeah. Yeah. And he went for it. And I think, yeah, did he win it? He might win it. He got the head of him anyway. He was banded well, I thought, yesterday, in a very difficult situation. I'd, I'd prob- I'm going to get slaughtered for this. I'd probably give it to Joel Lewis. Right. Good save. A couple of good saves in the first half. He gets unlucky with the goal because the, the boy reacts to it. But it's, it's a decent stop again. Um, could do nothing about the penalty kick. I mean, no keeper saving that one. I thought Holt would smash it off the bar initially. Um, I'd give, I'm going to give it to Joe Lewis. We'll see how that pans out. Yeah, that's that, that. That's me getting abused again on Twitter <laughs> this week. Anyway, let's move on. In other news from Padre this week. Now, I guess the main news uh, in the last week was the Graham Hunter Dave Cormack interview uh gav you and i we recorded our thoughts about this in our mini pod <laughs> same mini pod it was still an hour uh, episode 40.5 which is still available if anyone wants to listen to it but graham uh you weren't available to, to join us in the mini pod you were too busy on holiday sunning yourself where were you i this guy i was guy the jokes aside i actually was sunning myself it was absolutely boiling not for the first few days but towards the end roasty <laughs> roasty toasty lovely yep. stuff your thoughts, Graham. Just let, let's get your thoughts on on the interview. It's you know it's it's good that these things do happen. Like personally, I find them a little bit frustrating because you never get what you want out of these things. But but it's not just really Cormac. Everything that comes out of a club these days is polished and sanitized. So there were some useful bits and pieces, and there's some slightly alarming bits and pieces, uh, mainly around the arrival of Mowbray, <laughs> which yeah. wow. Uh, and <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, the, the, there's nothing really to say other than what's already been said. A couple of comments around, you know, we'd all maybe I take the sort of the structure literally that the whole point of the structure was such that you basically get a coach in and you change him in and out because it fits with the philosophy of the players. Blah 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 blah. Now I don't know. I think it was your it was yourself maybe made the point that is maybe putting a little bit of heat onto Glass and Co by saying that you know, they did the signings, which if that is the case, uh, obviously that's not worked out well, but if that is the case, then in their defence, given that Cormac said one, you know, one of the tick boxes for Glass was that he was happy to work with the structure, I can't quite... He's either throwing him in the bus because he's not here to defend himself, but that doesn't seem too likely given that the pally. So if he really did come in and say, look, I know I told you I'd have all these guys to help you or do your recruitment, but now you guys need to do it, then I have a little bit more time and sympathy 
for him because the likes of Agar maybe makes sense because he's sort of panicking around. I didn't think I had to get any guys in. Now I do. The window's closing. Like, I know this guy. I'll just get someone in or it's, it's my comfort zone. So a couple of things maybe start to make a little bit more sense than they might have otherwise done. Doesn't get away from the fact that it's an absolute mess of way to run your club. But I maybe does shed a little bit of light on what was going on behind the scenes that the management team had to deal with that by the chairman's admission that the reason they were picked is because they wouldn't have to deal with that sort of stuff. So I feel like the goalposts maybe moved for them a little bit. So that, that was interesting. Um, around the answers, I guess it's a bit like anyone. You answer the questions you want to and the questions you don't really like, the sound of you sort of bluster around or try and, you know, to try and shift to maybe a slightly different topic. Um, everyone does that. So there's a couple in there that I didn't, didn't really feel the answered at all or necessarily in a great deal of detail. And I don't believe the questions were stupid or unreasonable, personally. Uh, and I don't believe um, he should really be allowed to do that. I think sometimes clubs forget that, although football is something we've touched on this a million times, it's a slightly different market because if you don't like it, you don't just go elsewhere. Yeah, You maybe don't go, but you, never, you don't lose that emotional attachment. You maybe just don't go over time. You don't put the same money in. But I don't know, it kind of feels like, ugh, you know, nobody needs to know the answer to that. Well, it was asked. So I, I think we do need to know the answer. So, yeah, that, that was a little bit disappointing, but it's kind of just the way these things these things go. A couple of, I've seen a lot, you know, a couple of bits and pieces out there, maybe around some of the questioning, but like it's always easy looking from the outside in to be, oh, I'd have asked this, I'd have asked that. I thought there was a decent breadth of questions asked. Um and, you know, if you go in with the really hard ones straight off the bat, you, nobody's ever going to get access to anyone in the club out with Red TV. And then all we will get is the controlled interviews. At least this was independent. I mean, you know, Graham is a quality, respected, experienced journalist and an Aberdeen fan to boot. But probably more importantly, he's a respected, experienced journalist. So he is independent from that point of view he's not going to make a career of asking the easy questions so the fact that he was in there um, I think is pretty good I thought like I say most of the questions were pretty good and the accusations maybe around oh, that's a little bit soft I don't really know I'm not so sure I necessarily agree with that actual point of view personally but even then if every question is designed to trip up or humiliate or is aggressive in tone Cormac or nobody's going, nobody is going to react well to that. You're not going to answer or you're going to shut down. You're, you're not going to get anything out of the, the person being interviewed. Whereas if you can maybe warm them up, ease them in, again, it's not trying to trip them up, but they become comfortable, they relax. They're, okay, I trust this guy. Maybe I'll just give them that little tidbit that I'll, I had been thinking I'll, I'll keep to myself. So I think to anyone who's thinking it's easy, just go in and A, ask those questions and B, that Cormac would be like, oh yeah, that's fine. You know, this is going to make me look like a mug. I'll quite happy to answer that. What's your next question? It's just never going to happen. Yeah, exactly. I think it's I think it's all very fair. We touched on it in the mini pod. I think I, I personally also didn't think there was any real softball questions. I thought question one and then the questions at the end were okay. You want to call them softball questions? They were softball questions because they were designed to ease a guy into a conversation. Um, it, you're right. You go in all guns blazing with question one. The whole thing just very quickly degenerates into you know a BBC Sports sound car crash all over again but yeah you, you don't want it to be an argument 
yeah. you know, the differences of opinion are fine, but in a constructive way where as a as a fan, I might get something out of that because it prolongs the conversation and you get a detailed answer. But two people just, yeah, going at it like that sports thing, nobody wins out of that. And if you're familiar with Graham Hunter's interview techniques, and again, we touched on them in the pod, that's Graham's kind of style is he'll often start his interviews and finish his interviews in that kind of that that fashion. Um, a lot of the big interview stuff is different because it's generally more almost akin to, I'm not saying we're in the same league as to what Graham does, but it's kind of akin to what we do with, with our guests. We'll, we'll be talking more about their history. We're not really asking difficult questions per se. I mean, if we get Jackie McNamara on the pod, it might be a very different fucking story that evening. Not sure that's going to happen, to be honest. But it, it's 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 not an easy shift for a guy like Graham Hunter either, actually. To be fair, especially because Cormac is very good at like, being a politician, shall we say? And as you say, answering the question he wants us to wants to answer rather than answering the question that was asked of him. And I thought Graham did a decent job of trying to bring him back to the to the to the question at hand. Sometimes it still didn't work, and you kind of at that point have to move on because you're just clearly not going anywhere. But um, yeah, all in all. I don't really think I got a huge amount of it that we didn't necessarily already know, other than the Mowbray piece. Uh, we touched on the mini-pod. A lot of the stuff that I think many people found interesting was things that Tom Watt had alluded to in his Twitter thread about the conversation he'd had with Cormac earlier as well. Um, so I didn't feel it was anything really new that came out of the recruitment piece that we hadn't already heard. Um, but all in all, yeah, I mean, it'll be interesting to see if they carry on with these now. Um, I think there was meant to be future... Uh, interviews lined up um, I think with Stephen Gunn and Jim Goodwin were the two that were identified I think as being next up in the hot seat it'll be interesting to see if those happen and when they do happen and what sort of tone they take it'll be interesting to see how the club have decided that they feel that those that interview has gone down as well obviously generated as per usual mixed responses on, on social media etc It's just always the way that it's going to be at the, at the end of the day I think it's important that fans are given access as independently as possible to anyone in the club, players, you know, coaching, whatever it may be, level in the club, because at the end of the day, they exist because we put our hands in our pocket, um, you know, and sponsors, but sponsors are only sponsoring because people are going to games. So I think sometimes people forget why clubs exist and who the, the ultimate, I know I'm not an owner of Aberdeen, in the financial sense, as in, you know, I don't have a chunk of it, but I'm invested emotionally, I invest my time, and I do put my hand in my pocket by going. Anyone who turns up on a Saturday is doing exactly the same thing. And I sometimes feel this is not, per se, directly critical of Cormac or Aberdeen. It seems to be a general perception of football clubs the way they are now. It's almost an inconvenience that the fan base might have some questions and might expect them to be answered. The final, I had this thought afterwards when I was editing our pod, actually, on the Darren Mowbray note. Mm-hmm. So I think in a way, like, like Graham says, the point of Stephen Glass being brought in and other candidates being turned away because they weren't prepared to work within a structure where they didn't have control of transfers, for that to be the case and Stephen Glass to then come in and then be told, oh, by the way, Stephen, we need some players <laughs> now, so... Yeah, Jack Gurr, yeah, no bother. Jet, no danger. We'll get him in for you, no, no problem. The way it sounds to me like Darren Mowbray was obviously the number one target, and that's perhaps why we waited for him until September. In a way, I think it's indirectly put some real pressure on Darren Mowbray going forward because then he'll get his first real summer 
this one coming. And if things don't, you know, hit the ground running straight away, then people like us are going to come on this on our shows and be like, well, that wasn't worth the wait then, was it? This is, this is fucking shite. So uh, I think maybe some things have not been uh, considered. But uh, It's an interesting point. It's an interesting point. And also, you know, Cormac made a big play about Bajau and his basically all Darren Mowbray's work. Okay, cool. That That's good. But at the same time, you're right. Like, Bajauan has shown in flashes. I think there's a player there. It's, it's hard to judge him this season. He's, he's coming to a team which is bereft of any sort of confidence. Uh, new new league, new country, all that stuff that goes with it. A team that's not really playing to his strength at the moment either. Hard to judge him. You can only really judge him um, after another year, 18 months, I would imagine, here, whether he's a success or not. But you're right. At the same time, it's very much clearly just been like, oh, it's Darren signing. So if, if it turns out in the long run that he's actually not that great, again, there'll be fingers pointed in that direction. But we spent, you know, they got a half a million quid on this guy, and that was Darren Mowbray's decision. And you're right; it does it, it it piles a lot of pressure onto the the recruitment. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on recruitment in the summer coming anyway for a multitude of different reasons. But you're absolutely right. Inadvertently, we've perhaps added more Darren Mowbray and yeah, Steve Gunn, Cormac, everyone, mm-hmm. yeah, because we've effectively. I guess rested on our laurels or, you know, let this integral part of the structure go unfulfilled for the sole purpose of obviously getting this one individual in the door. Yeah, doesn't work out. They will have well, more questions to answer next year than they, uh, they would maybe like, as Graham says. Absolutely. Let's move on. On the women's team, the Quines made the trip to Govan. God bless them. On Sunday afternoon for their SWPL one clash with table topping Rangers at Ibrox in front of over 4,000 fans. One change to the Dons lineup from last time out. Francesca Ogilvie coming in to replace Louise Brown, who found herself on the bench. An early bit of pressure saw AJ Meach do well to punch a free kick clear in the opening minutes before Lauren Campbell's strong running pass saw Bailey Hutchison, this year's ABZFP Women's Player of the Year. Wide on the right, but her ball was cut out by Doherty for the home side. The home side continuing to hold most of the possession, but the Dons holding firm against their full-time opposition. And it remained that way until the half-hour mark before Vance's ball was then finished off by Kerr. The Dons looked as though they'd make it to half-time with only one goal in it, but five minutes before the break, it was two. Doherty firing in a low cross, which was parried by Meach into the path of McCoy to tap home would be a deflection off of Kelly Forrest. The second half, Started about as badly as it could do just a minute into the half. Doherty found herself in acres of space, lashing a high shot beyond Meach from the edge of the box. Ten minutes later, it was four Arnott finishings after some tidy play by McCoy. The Dons continued to dig deep, though. Natasha Bruce and Louise Brown replacing Ogilvy and Ava Thompson before Gover and Collins made way for Johan Fraser and Hannah Stewart. The Dons actually started to settle into the game, ensuring that there'd be no further goals for the home side. Kelly Forrest making way for Lauren Gordon in the Dons' final change, but it finished up four goals to nil to the home side. The Dons remaining in fifth spot in the table. They'll be looking to finish the campaign strong with four games remaining. Next up is Partick Thistle at, I've got it written down here, Cormac Park, but it might be the Balmoral. I'll need to double check that. A week on Tuesday, that one, a 7.30 p.m. kickoff. For the young team, they produced a fine performance to take all three points on Friday evening as they smashed Motherwell. Yes, we finally beat Motherwell at any sort of age level or gender. Five goals to two in North Lanarkshire, having lost all three fixtures against the Steel Boys this season. 
this was a big win. Although the signs didn't look great. Motherwell scoring early across from the right, smashed home from just beyond the penalty spot. But the Dons equalised five minutes later. Finley Marshall popping up at half-cleared corner to steer the ball home. The Dons then took the lead with a fine pass from Stewart, which found Liam Harvey, and he continued his recent run of goals by firing home. And Harvey made it 3-1 on the 30-minute mark. Another great finish in a one-on-one situation. Just before halftime, the young team grabbed their fourth. Cammy Wilson taken down in the box while challenging for the header, and captain Dylan Lobbin popped the penalty home. After the break, the game settled into a more even affair, but the Dons added their fifth on the hour mark. Emsley's cross finding Marshall, who grabbed his second of the game, before Motherwell grabbed a consolation goal from the penalty spot in the last minute. But all in all, a fine 5-2 win for the young team. Next up, it's a visit to Hibs, followed by the visit of Hamilton Ackes to Cormac Park next Friday. And on to Lone Watch. Cliftonville drew 3-3 at Crusaders on Saturday to remain one point in the Norwich Irish Premiership. Luke Turner once again playing the full 90 minutes. Mark Gallagher about as visible as Darren Mowbray in the squad. One game left here. Cliftonville visit Glentoran next Saturday with Linfield at home to Coleraine. It'll be one of those two who take home the Norwich Irish Premiership title. Kieran Nguenya with another 90 minutes for champions. Kelty Hearts as they drew 1-1 at home with Forfurt in League 2. The Fife side being presented with their trophy after this one. And it was good to see Conor Barron, I think, turned up at the, pre- the trophy presentation last night as well for Kelty to get his winner's medal. So that's at least, what, <clears throat> two or three, four members of the, the squad who've now rendered a winner's medal this season. Luke Turner, Lee Cup in Ireland, Niguenya, Conor Barron, and uh, Dean Campbell. And Mark Gallagher. Um, uh, Mark Gallagher can't have won, picked up anything. He's not played a game. He also couldn't open a bottle of champagne. It's a recurring theme because neither can Ethan Ross. Yeah, I think yeah, that's what you say. Clearly not something we, uh, <clears throat> we teach them down at Cormac Park. Emma Tyler, not in the Elgin squad as they lost at home by four goals to one to Cowden Beef, the Blue Brazil warming up for their upcoming playoff with the winners of the Bonnie Rig Rose. Fraser tie with their second win in their last three. And it's what, 3-1 Bonnie Rig Rose, I think, after the first leg of the playoff tie there. The yep. second leg back in the Brock on Saturday. I've been interested. I want to see who comes through there. Mason Hancock with the full 90 minutes of Sterling Albion drew 1-1 in Coatbridge with Albion Rovers. Brian Duncan came off the bench after only 27 minutes for Peter Head as they beat East Fife by one goal to nil in League One. And Dean Campbell was an unused substitute for Kamarnock as they eventually overcame Arbroath by two goals to one on Friday night to secure their return to the top flight at the first time of asking. Now, speaking of the Kamarnock thing, actually, did you see the tweet that the Kamarnock Twitter account put out after the, the final whistle went? I saw the Arbroath one during the game. It was after the game, which I quite enjoyed. I think it was when this, I think it was when it, when uh, yeah, when Alston scored the winner, yeah, yeah it was good. Like that, more of that, please, from Twitter admins of football clubs. The Kilmarnock one tweeted out something like a fairy tale ending on our hallowed turf. I did see that. Yes, like, your hallowed turf. It's plastic pitch for fuck's sake. Like, if there's the very antithesis of hallowed turf, it's that plastic pitch. Anyway, Kilmarnock back to the top flight. Another miserable away day in Ayrshire coming up next season. Fingers crossed. I mean, who knows? We might actually be in the championship of this straight us, but uh, there we go. And let's all be honest, the pies are shit, aren't they? Seriously overrated. Not good. And absolutely not worth the travel. It didn't soften the blow that day when you lost 50 quid. No, but it's good that I continually get reminded of that. 
on a slightly lighter note, do you want to know my Elgin City fun fact? Oh, go on then. Go for it. The establishment I had lunch in on the way home, the club captain was also in there having lunch. Who is the club captain? I don't know. How did you know he was the club captain? Because I overheard some kids going, that's the Elgin City club captain. And then some guy in a track suit. you? No, although, no. Given what I was hammering into, I probably could have done a job <laughs> for Elgin. But So there you go, fun fact. There we go, love it. Nice. There's a wee boy actually at my, at, at, um, at my eldest football class who has got an Elgin City shirt. So I'm always like, well done me, man. Like, representing. Good stuff. I would say so. Yeah, I mean, we, we think we've got a miserable future. Oh. <laughs> But that is quite impressive to, uh, I don't know, what were they called? I was going to say again, a City Union, but I guess that's not their official nickname, is it? I, I couldn't tell you, to be honest. Um, oh, that's not very good, is it? It makes my eldest feel a bit better about himself, thinking, because he's obviously the only one in a Norwich top every now and again. So, you know. But hey, there we go. Let's move on. Fantasy Football Scotland. It's been a couple of weeks since we've had the joys of talking about this one. I thought Gavin was doing a big celebration there, but I think he was just yawning. James, how did you get on? 40 points, Ooh. which isn't very good, although the average says it's 30, so for once in my life, I'm above average. It is a celebration. 50 points in the bank for Sweet Considine. Lads, lads, 63 points. Yeah, you've got that big cheesy grin of yours, but have you seen where you sit even in our mini league? Your yeah, points, yeah. Your points yeah. hall is Don's-esque. I am only five points off Gazer, though, in our mini-league. Well, as I always say, it's not the taking part that counts, it's the beating Gazer. So exactly. you've got a chance so at that. Reeling him in as the weeks roll down. I might even just decide to stick a couple of them in the squad just to try and like overhaul. That's how we're going to go. I've moved myself up to 192nd in the league this week. Pretty pleased with that, to be honest with you. I am now in the top 100. Ooh, top 100. 99th place. Ooh, nice. Yeah, I'm just having a look at my team. How did I how did I end up with that? Well, Ferguson goes. De- oh, I've got I've got Devlin from Livingston as well. Nice. Ginelli scored as well for Hearts today. Gino. Uh, Gino. Do you still get Gino Ginelli? I have no idea. I wasn't even sure if that target reference would land. <laughs> it landed with me. <laughs> Gavin's got a blank look in his face. Yeah, but... <laughs> Gav's got absolutely no fucking idea what we're talking about. <laughs> to be honest, I'm still just, you know. Feeling that it was quite nice to see someone called Devlin at Pataudry. <laughs> uh, I did lose three, a minus three for Beavis Mugabe. There we go. Lovely stuff. Uh, let's look at the actual league itself. If I could get it to load, that would be good. Well, it'll come as no shock to you that Jack Kern is still uh, in pole position. In the in fitting with our guest today, he is in the gold medal position. Yeah, he's running away with it, isn't he? He's He's over... At least, what, 99 points clear or something? He's running away with it. Running away with it. Gold, frankincense, and Gar consolidating silver medal position as well. He's up to 2,022 points. He's opened up a 24-point gap there. So impressive stuff ahead of Timu CRB in third place. Old Kent Road just tucked in three points behind there. It's it's starting to stretch out a little bit, I think, now. I think our, our top... I think our top one is, is probably nailed on. I think Jack Curran's got this one sealed. I think he's in Kelty Hart slash Cove Rangers territory. Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. Listen, there's still, what, four games to go? Four league matches, yeah. yep. Four to go, so. I know I'm counting them down. Absolutely. Well, yeah, for many different <laughs> reasons other than this. Keep on keeping on. Prizes to be won. Let's go. 
So next up for the Dons, it's the visit of Mark McGee's Dundee to Pataudry on Saturday. Now, guys, it feels like every time we've spoken about playing Dundee this season, it's a must-win game. But this absolutely is on Saturday, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, unless everyone can just like go ahead and lose again for us. I mean, that's the thing. I think I tweeted out yesterday as well. Was it going to be? There could be the, the possibility here that we might not win a game again before the end of the season, but we might just survive because everyone in the bottom six just keeps on cutting their legs out from each other, which is pretty much the way I can see this going. What motivational tactics do you think Mark McGee is going to adopt in the week running up to this game, do you reckon? Possibly not from Neil's book of tricks when he uh, <laughs> tries to build a, a good team atmosphere in a, a high-performance culture. So what did we have last week? So he went without food, without heating, and he promised that if they won, he'd be naked for a week. Yes, that was it. How does he up the ante for this one? This is a bigger week for him. There's not another level, is there? I mean, I, I feel he's gone in too big, too early. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Although I saw yesterday that he, he was then saying that the, the strategy worked because they drew. And I'm like, mm, <laughs> no, Mark, I don't think it has, mate. All jokes aside, I mean, a Dundee drawing with St. Johnston 1 1 at the weekend. Dundee took the lead after 10 minutes through the left-back Jordan Marshall. I was quite impressed with Marshall, actually, at Den's last time out. I thought he looked like a pretty tidy player um, before Sean Rooney equalised an hour later and spared us all the, the prospect of having to see Mark McGee in the buff. Dundee still without a win under McGee, and he got quite prickly about this in the in the interview yesterday as well, which was quite amusing. But they've drawn their last three, including the 2-2 against us and then a 2-2 at uh, Tannadice against United as well. One win apiece for the side so far, and that draw. <laughs> what are we expecting? A game with a level of quality that could get that could get football shut down as an entertainment vehicle. I'm just trying not to think about it, to be perfectly <laughs> honest, <laughs> because I know I'm going to have to see it with my own eyes, and I'm really not looking forward to the prospect. I mean, I hope I don't care how it happens, as long as we end up with three points at the end of the day. I mean, I, I feel like this is the the most critical of the most critical of the most critical games against Dundee, but I mean, for God's sake, if you can't beat him this time round, maybe it's time for us to just shut up shop. How sad is it the biggest game of the season is Dundee? Aye, and not in some sort of freak season where we're both in a shootout for the title. It's uh, another bite of the Dundee cherry to try and give us enough points to stay up. It's the third time this season we've been sitting going, it's the biggest game of the season. And it's just against Dundee. I just can't fathom that. I really can't. Yeah... Our, our record's not good either. Yeah, we can step back that to that conversation about players who have been told they have no future here. Mm. Ross McCrory will be unavailable because of suspensions, so we are going to have to bring in, presumably, one of these individuals to uh, to plug that gap. And yeah, it's... Uh... Well, not necessarily, because I think what he'll do is he'll put Ramsey to right back, he'll move Ojo to the centre mid. Well, okay, we'll move a player from, from one position to the other who's been told he's got no future here. Because McGeoch's out injured. McGeoch's probably out for the rest of the season, I think, so it won't be McGeoch coming in. Um, the alternative is he switches to 4-2-3-1. Um, it just goes with Barron and uh, Ferguson as his holders. And he plays Teddy Jenks. Or he plays or he plays Ramirez and puts Watkins off. Of, None of it sounds great. None of it sounds amazing, does it? Let's be honest. It's, it's, it's just going to be the same again, isn't it? Do you think there's any chance we can stop Charlie Adam for once? That dive, by the way. Ah. Oh. I mean, if after after the last game, when if you even just take away the misogynistic element to what he said about it's a man's game, to go ahead and do that, do that just a matter of weeks later, what a what a prick that man is. Um, yeah, hopefully, 
hopefully someone can stay tight to him and just not let him dictate the game as we've allowed to. If we were going to do that, McCrory would have been the guy who would have got to do it. Just sit on him. Literally. Just sit on him. <laughs> <laughs> just wait for him to dive and then... Yeah, just sit down and that'll be it. Done. Uh, like Graham, I just want a win by any measures and own goal. The Dundee goalkeeper punching one to his own net. That's that's all. Just a win. All I want. Do I expect it? And this is really sad because it's Dundee and they're terrible. But no, I don't. You know, I'm going to be optimistic for a change. Um, yes. It can't get any worse, I feel like. So something good has got to happen. I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm properly busy on Saturday. <laughs> we'll clip that quote, Neil, don't worry. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's not in keeping with this podcast at all. <laughs> but, um, nah, you know what? I think, I think we will find a way to nick it. I think, I think we'll all, as you say, laugh about it and, and move on and then look forward to the summer. But uh, yeah, it's not going to be a pretty match. Again, I like to think we've got enough quality we can somehow edge it at home to the worst team in the league, assuming we're not the worst team, and uh, just find a way to to get it done. I mean, yeah, I, I'll be honest with you. In case things do go bad, I'm just glad that Kilmarnock have won the league and we're not going to face them in a playoff if we end up in there because that would have been the worst outcome I could have thought of. So, so there's one positive for you as well. Yeah, the story was written if it was Kilmarnock, <laughs> wasn't it? Uh, who are St Johnston playing the weekend? St Mirren. St Mirren, yeah. Which is an awkward because then you're like, what do you want to happen in that game? A draw is probably the best result for us, but of course, if we if we lose, that does put us behind St Mirren at that point. So St Mirren to win, I don't know. Probably St Mirren to win, and us to win would be the best outcome there. If that happens, then it's I'd say it's done. Mm. Um, well, we'd be eight points clear. Yeah, Gav, you've been saying there for weeks that we're not going to finish eleventh. Yeah, we're not. And every time you say it, I'm like, oh, I don't know this. and then we get closer and closer to it, and. It's not going to happen. Not going to happen. There we go. We'll clip that quote as well for, for posterity, I think. Yeah, just a win. Win. A win. However. It's got to happen. I mean, Dundee, worst defence in the league. 58 goals conceded this season. Uh, they averaged 1.7 a game in terms of the goals they concede. They've got the second worst attack in the league. 30 goals they've scored. Only St. Johnston are worse. St. Johnston still only scored 22 goals this season. Even with their like resurgence of form recently, that's just an appalling statistic. Even with Stevie May. Even with Stevie May, mate. Do you want to check that up again? I, I checked it. I This is a bit of research I'm, I'm going to nail my colours to the mast on. Danny Mullen's now the top scorer. The last time we spoke about Dundee, it was um, Jason Cummings. So they've at least improved on that, that a guy who left in January is no longer their top scorer, which is good. Paul McMullen, seven assists. He's the other danger man. Charlie Adam, we've already spoke about. I think if we can just avoid giving away stupid free kicks, 30, 40 yards from goal, that would be a, that would be a start. And then, like I said, I don't know who it'll be now, but somebody needs to just follow him around and just not give him any time in the ball and hope that he also loses the plot, which he's kind of prone to do. He probably should have been sent off, actually, in the game at Dens a couple of weeks ago. Um, but, but there we go. I'm going to have to ask you guys. We're going to have to do it. We're going to have to do this. Predictions. I'm going to say 2-1, because it's impossible that we will keep a clean sheet. Um but like Neil, it's it's not going to be pretty. It doesn't need to be. It's irrelevant what it looks like. We just need to get the three points. So I'm going to say 2-1 because we'll concede something daft towards the end, which will make it more nerve-wracking than it should be because that's what, that's what we're all about. But I do think we will get the three points. Here we go. I saw today uh, Jim Goodwin was calling for that clean sheet. <laughs> 
I believe in the man. It's going to be 1-0. 1-0. There we go. Goal scorer? <laughs> uh, pro- probably our own goal, let's be honest. <laughs> I'm going to say 2-1 Aberdeen as well. Get an opening goal via Lewis Ferguson. Own goal by David Bates to make it really nervous. He'll go one better than he went against Livingston. And then screw Gary's predictions, Andrew Considine, hero, last minute winner. He does like scoring his Dundee, doesn't he? I'll take that. Uh, I'm going to go balls to the wall. Aberdeen 7, Dundee 2. <laughs> Mark McGee to just lose his shit all over again. Mobile phones at the ready. It's all happening. This time he slams his desktop computer off the guy's head. <laughs> I'm not going to give you goal scorers because too many in seven, but there we go. So that's our thoughts. But as always, uh, we thought it'd be a good idea to have a chat with some folks who've had the, I was going to say the, the privilege of walk, watching Dundee all season. That might be a bit strong, I guess, to get their thoughts on their season to date, see how they see upcoming Saturday going. So we sat down with Ethan Hampton from the Dens Park Choir and DTV to get his thoughts Ethan, welcome to the ABZ Football Podcast. How's it going? Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm doing fine. Well, at least uh, off the park. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I guess let's just get straight out of business, eh? I mean, it's the first time we've spoken to a Dundee fan on the pod this season. Just sum up your season to date. The best saying that I've heard in regards to this season is good on paper, shite on grass. <laughs> uh, there, was, there was a lot of optimism at the start of the season and... I was I was pretty optimistic to begin with, thinking, oh, the results aren't going our way just yet. We'll get the one win, that'll be the monkey off our back, and then we'll get going. But I found myself saying that all the way up until now, and the season's almost done. So um, it's been more more so the past uh, month or so. I mean, there was warning signs before late autumn that we were going to get really dragged into the dogfight, but it wasn't until the last month or so where you know, it really begins to look a lot more grim in that, yeah, we're, we're making it a lot, lot harder for ourselves and uh, you know, because in a relegation campaign, there's tons of factors that come into play, and one of them is is your luck. When, you know, uh, that other results never seem to go your way. Uh, you seem to be scoring the freakish own goals, and then injuries hitting at the worst possible times. Just everything is you. It feels like it's working against you. So um, yeah, the past month or so, you, you certainly feel a strong hint of that. And that's you know, you're facing uh, almost certain relegation now with just four games left to play. What was that? Good on paper, shite on grass. I'm so using that next week. That's fantastic. Yeah. That that pretty much does sum up Aberdeen season as well, to be fair. I mean, this this almost feels like it should be like a group therapy session between various different SPFL premiership teams, to be honest. We should probably get this in, the Donker Saints boys in as well, just to get involved in this. Um, although I think we're going to speak to them in the next couple of weeks. At, at the start of the season, obviously come up through the, the playoffs last season, what were, you know, just, I guess, yourself personally, what, what what would have been a successful season, you think, for for Dundee this year? This season, it would have been just uh, maintaining the premiership status and staying in the division. Uh, I think some fans, not expecting, but were hoping to hit even higher heights with, uh, at the time, when sound like Lee Griffiths and that, you kind of felt, well, hold on, we've got a bit of a force on paper here. Um I mean, there's plenty of optimism with the potential strike force of Jason Cummings and Lee Griffiths that just never came into <laughs> fruition. Um, but yes, I, I kind of I kind of knew that regardless of who we recruit, your first season up, it's always got to be stay in the division, maintain your status, and, and then build on that. Um, we were we were very fortunate in 2000, uh, 2015 when we'd won the championship. 
I think most fans would have just bitten your hand off to finish, you know, even 10th, 9th place in the league. So we're quite fortunate that our first season up at that point, we managed to get a top six finish under uh, Paul Hartley. Um, it's almost had a bit of a negative spin though, because that's then been the expectation since then. And we've not managed to obviously finish in the top six since then. So, uh, uh, so yeah. But I, I would have, yeah, just to, to, to reinstate, definitely survival in the, in the division would have been what I've been happy with. From the outside looking in, um, Ethan, James McPake, um, a player I believe was well thought of at Dundee, um, club captain there, wasn't he? Got you yeah. promoted, uh, big player under Paul Hartley. Becomes manager, gets you promoted again. Links earlier in the year with, I think, MK Dons, um, seemed to be a manager on the up and then get, get a couple of results together and then he's dismissed. Um, what was the, the feeling for, I guess, yourself and the, the Dundee support when that happened? I think everyone, even outside of Dundee fans, all kind of felt that the timing of it was utterly bizarre because um, it came on the back of two two, victor- two consecutive victories. If you were to follow James McPake's managerial career, it's kind of, although it, he's still a very young manager, um, I would say fairly inexperienced because it's only the, the two and a half seasons in, in the job. Um, every season kind of worked the same way struggle to begin with and then that final third the business end of the season everything begins to click and come together and the first season halted due to the the pandemic uh, and the leagues were called on the current standings at the time Uh, last season our promotion uh, campaign we did actually struggle for it for a good bit Uh, we weren't I think Wraith Rovers spent an awful lot more time than us in second place and then in the business end of the season with things just beginning to click we managed to have that great run of form and final day of the season or at least final day of the um initial league calendar we managed to hop into second place after uh, beating Queen the South then obviously seen the job all the way via the playoffs so um, I certainly felt we could have had a bit of a repeat there struggling and then the final third you can you know maybe things were going to get their act together I'm a bit more old-fashioned in the sense that uh, I feel managers should get a lot more time than they do now in, in the modern modern day uh, specifically when it, um, you give them the transfer window my feeling is well You've, you've trusted him with the job of uh, bringing in the reinforcements, so he may as well be allowed to see it out. So that way, any success or any failure can, at that point can entirely be pinned on him because that's, that's his project. He gets to see his project all the way through. Because now, should uh, Mark McGee fail to keep us in the division, that blame will now kind of be split. Or, uh, or, or perhaps uh, maybe controversial is not the correct word, but people will be split on who to blame or perhaps blame both, you know, and I, I don't, I don't like that. I don't like the idea of, uh, of not, you know, if he was dismissed before the transfer window, I, w- I wouldn't have been entirely happy with it. But I could understand that at least. But uh, it was just very, very odd timing, and I felt he should have been given longer to, uh, to see it through. But in, in saying that, uh, I can see why they made the choice they did. Uh, I mean, John Nelms kind of stressed that he, what he was looking for was just an experienced manager. Um, that's had experience in this kind of scenario before, and you know, to be fair to Mark McGee, does he does tick those boxes in that aspect? Almost a thousand games in management, and uh, I'm led to believe that he's he's done this before in his career, uh, specifically with Brighton Hove Albion, managing to keep them in the league when things look very grim. So, you know, the, the decision makes sense on that aspect, but yeah, the, the timing of it was was certainly bizarre, and I, I didn't agree with uh, you know getting you know let let them go after the uh, the transfer window. There's a massive parallel there between what we've done in that sense as well, where, you know, after the uh, after the 2-1 defeat, 
at Dens for us in October, um, which was your first one of the season, I think, wasn't it? So, um, uh, no second first home win of the season, I think. First home win, first home win, yeah. First win of the season was against uh, St. Mirren. Uh, so I mean, also that night, I don't know if you were there at the, the game that night, but it, it got pretty, it got pretty toxic in the away end that evening about where we were going under Stephen Glass. There was a lot of chat at the time that. Dave Cormack, or it's come out even further in the last few weeks, that Dave Cormack was probably going to pull the trigger after that game. It was the squad, certain key individuals within the squad basically went to the, the, the board and basically like, you need to keep him, you need to stick with him. But we do exactly the same thing. We let him go through the January window. We don't really support him that much. We, we don't bring a striker in to help in any way, shape or form our attacking options. And then what, a matter of two, three weeks after the transfer window closes, we bullet him and we bring Goodwin in and so far, there's not been a we we haven't had that that new manager bounce um, in the same way that you guys haven't. Um, but it's just it's the same issue. Like we just Goodwin's working with a completely a, a squad which is completely bereft of any creativity, of any you know of any options from an attacking perspective. It's it, it's really not good. What we thought was interesting, and you, and you maybe can't talk too much about this, I guess, uh, Ethan Parks. But I suspect see when you guys bulleted McPake, I thought it happened because. We were sniffing at that time. We still hadn't appointed our new manager at that point, and it was heavily trailed. It was going to be a, a straight fight, I think, between Jack Cross and uh, Jim Goodwin. And I had it in my mind that what had happened here was that Nelms had panicked a wee bit because he thought I don't know if they would identified perhaps Ross or Goodwin as being the guy they would go for. So I thought, here we go. They're going to try and jump in here and get whatever one it is. And then it was that night I think that McGee went in from like, I don't know, 50 to 1 to like 2 to 1 on McBookies. They closed the book on him and everyone's like, this can't be happening. And then it's like the next day, up he rocks. And it's just like, okay, that's a, it's a curveball decision. Yeah. It took me by surprise, certainly. I, d- I didn't see that coming. I don't think anyone saw that coming. Um, and of course, the talk as well was, you know, in a relegation fight and we've brought in a guy that's got a, a six-game dugout ban. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, I... I I was in the exact same boat as you. I was convinced that it would have been Jack Ross. I actually went on, um, uh, it was a radio station. I can't remember which radio station it was, but uh, Barry Ferguson and someone else were, were talking away and they had me on and they asked me what I thought. And I, I said, that, you know, on live radio, that I thought Jack Ross was going to uh, be the one they were going for, just given the, the timing. The timing just seemed to make sense. So um, when Mark McGee was appointed, that just went, made everyone scratch their heads even more. Like if, it, if that was the guy you wanted to bring in, then why did you pick now? So yeah, let's let's talk let's let's talk about the elephant in the room, shall we call it <laughs> that? Um, Mark McGee, undeniable playing legend at Aberdeen, but had a managerial stint which was less than legendary, and he's <laughs> kind of a figure of ridicule here now. But let's just take our prejudices away from this. Ethan, how's it gone under Mark McGee since he since he came in? I think a lot of people uh, would be surprised to hear that initially he looked to have a really good hold of the game management. So his first game in charge was uh, at Parkhead, played Celtic, you know, at their own turf. You don't really expect anything. And in that game, we took the lead twice and uh, we conceded two late goals to, to, to chuck the game away. But we thought, you know, I was watching that game with uh, a couple of friends and, and, and my father and we all kind of came to the conclusion that we looked very well organised. The game management seemed very clear and that's perhaps where the, you know, that experience comes from uh, is that initial impact on the, on the park like that. And we were expecting more of that. Um, but to be honest, it's been, it's been fairly mixed because then his first home game 
we were expecting, you know, you know, here's your chance to show us what you can do. It's Livingston at home. Uh, and with all due respect to Livingston, that's one of those games where you think if they're near your level and you're at your own, your own ground, there's an expectation level to, to be winning. Uh, and Livingston, I think, they're 3-0 up within the first 20 minutes. Um, they've absolutely gave us a, an absolute hiding. And I, I certainly felt it wasn't until the, the Dundee derby that was the first game under Mark McGee where I felt like I could watch it and then make out the game plan. Prior to that, it just kind of felt like a lot of it was uh, was hoofball, was just route one and then kind of see what happens. And I, I didn't really un- understand the, the point of it. And, you know, it's, and it's one of the, my, my pet hates in football is when the ball's at the back and they pass it to the goalkeeper just for him to boot it instead of them looking for an option to play it forward in the first place. It just it, it does my nothing. Um the Aberdeen game when Aberdeen came to, to Dens the, the first time under Jim Goodwin, the second time in the season, I didn't feel like we had a, any game plan or any real dynamic to us until Charlie Adam came on and effectively was, was our, our main man that game, just influenced everything that we did going forward, going back. Uh, you know, that, that was the definition of a one-man team. You know, we were being carried there with his, um, you know, his ability on the ball, to, his deliveries, um, is able just to switch the play, you know, dictating the tempo and you know getting us up the park. If, I don't, you know, if he doesn't come on, I think Aberdeen win that game comfortably. You know, at least at least two now. So, yeah, the, the derby was the first the first game where I could feel like I knew what we were trying to do. I don't want to use the word clueless. I'm sure they worked very hard and in, in in having their, their game plans and uh, trying to execute whatever tactics they come up with. But uh, for me, uh, when when I'm watching, I struggle to just work out exactly what the game plan is. Uh, we've had a couple of games go in our favour, at least in the aspect of avoiding defeat. Uh, of, of course, yet to still register a win under McGee, but uh, I think he's, he's only lost the four games as manager thus far. And uh, Sorry, the five games, and three of them were against the, the old firm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So Four of them in the, in the league. So I, th- I think that surprised people in the aspect that we were expecting to take a beating off Hibs, take a beating off Aberdeen, um, maybe even take a beating off, off United and we managed to show a, a bit of spirit in each and every single one of those games particularly against United we're 2-0 down we managed to salvage a draw Aberdeen we con- uh, conceded twice earlier in the season we probably don't fight back and get the draw we'll probably lie down and then take a narrow defeat uh, and what was the other game I just said there uh, Aberdeen United and uh, well, Hebs Hebs was a 0-0 midweek after that 4-0 doing to Livingston yeah yeah you feel a bit of spirit there. The St. Johnson game that just passed, that was um that was in, that was infuriating. First half I thought we were, we were really good, well worth our money. Uh, second half, I don't know if you guys watched the Arbroath Kilmarnock game. Um yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Night, it it was quite similar to that in the aspect of when Arbroath scored. They then sat off Kilmarnock the entire game, trying to absorb the pressure, then eventually they crack and Kilmarnock managed to get the two two goals in. We were the exact same. We're sitting off St. Johnston. They had wave after wave of attack and eventually we cracked the equalise. And then the game's at a stalemate. Do you do the interviews after the games for DTV, Ethan? Yes, uh, I do. Not all the time. Uh, sometimes I'm running thin on time and I've got um, uh, shifts uh, to work. Right. So a, a good few times this season, I've not been able to do it. But if I have the time, then normally I, I do do the interviews. Uh, I, did, I did do the interviews last Saturday. So you must have been pretty relieved on one hand that Sean, Sean Rooney had scored to avoid you having to do a naked Martin McGee interview, presumably. Uh, yeah, I, I was kind of annoyed though, and uh, because I, I wanted to ask him about that, 
if we had won. I wanted to say, right, so <laughs> what does this entirely entail? Because I was, I was quite curious. Does it mean that he shows up to training, <laughs> uh, like, you know, full, full nude chopper out or just a pair of Speedos on or something? Like, what's the... <laughs> and would it have carried on till this Saturday? You know, these yeah. are all the questions you need to know. Um, yeah, Marvin, and then, of course, how do you take it and not chop? Like, next week, will you, like, jump through, like, a fiery hoop and everything as well? Like, how do you... <laughs> that was the thing. I felt I felt like he went too too big too early with this. I think you have to incrementally... I mean, what'd you do? You know, yeah. say, say he won five on the spin towards the end of the season. What's he going to do at that point? You know, it's... Well, maybe he's got a list. Maybe he's, he thinks if I go big the first time, I can then keep surpassing myself. And, yeah, who knows? I think maybe final game of the season... He's, Probably got a unicycle in the cupboard. He's opening that or something. <laughs> I, did, <laughs> I did see. I did see at the weekend. He got a bit prickly. I think it was the BBC reporters about you know whether or not his motivational tactics had worked, um, and he was of the belief that they had worked because he'd drawn the game. Um, so whether that means he's going without food or heating this week again, <laughs> yeah. who knows? I don't know. It's interesting. You kind of spoke about it. I think the um, the, the most recent game at Dens between between our two sides. I kind of felt the same way about it. I, it was it was almost a very we keep saying this every week in our podcast at the moment, that this performance encapsulates how our season has been. Dens was exactly the same again, except that we actually scored a couple of goals this time. But just so soft at the back. And that's two games now at Dens this season where Charlie Adams has run the show. I mean, for the nine, I was going to say 90 minutes. I don't know if he was on the pitch for 90 minutes in the 2-1 the game early in the season. But for the time he was on the pitch, he completely ran the show, made Scott yeah. Brown look like an absolute idiot for however long he was on the pitch for. Then he comes on the pitch for what twenty minutes the last time around? Half an hour. Half an hour. Yeah. Gets man of the match. I think he did play the full ninety the first time. Um, just yeah. makes us look silly. I mean, for us, that's basically the biggest issue we've got going in on Saturday is just basically having somebody sitting on him for ninety minutes. The thing is, he came on, he riled people up, he made people take their eye off the ball, yeah, metaphorically and also literally. Yeah. <laughs> and like Ethan says, he's just got that quality at the set pieces and then we simply don't defend them yeah it was a, a microcosm of our season right there I see, I seem to recall thinking that both the goals we scored like if I was an Aberdeen fan I would have been raging because on an Aberdeen perspective they're actually pretty poor to give away they're, I wasn't happy I'm, I'm not going to lie I wasn't happy uh, yeah I mean well the first one I I don't even know if John McGee headers the ball for hits off like his elbow or something I, I actually can't make out what part of the ball he hits it with but regardless the keeper's beating at the near post at an angle um and then the second, the second one, it just looks awkward as well. I think Joe Lewis looks to come out. The ball, it's not in the middle, but it's also kind of quite near him. And I think does it hit off his leg or something? And just trickles in the uh, the side netting. It just, it just looks like a goal you'd expect to see in the park on a Sunday uh, afternoon. The bigger point is that your man, it's Danny Mullen, I think scored that equalizer, wasn't it? Um, yeah. Is free six yards out in the middle of the yeah, box. Yeah. No one anywhere near him. I was convinced it was offside because of that. I was just like. Mm-hmm. Oh no! There's this is a goal. Oh, for fuck's sake! And that's from a free kick as well. So like you know, if it's some open play, then you know, not fair enough. You know, you can maybe understand that uh, open play at all in one motion that perhaps you know, your your mind to be split trying to watch two guys at once. But no, like they had an opportunity to mark every single man, and then yeah, the, the guy that's like four foot tall in the box is completely free, <laughs> wins the header and scores. It's yeah. If if you want to watch goals that look like they've been considered in school playgrounds, just watch us for the whole season. That's basically what we've done all year. Like we we don't. If you go and look at our stats, our stats are hilarious this season um, from this perspective because we give up. We don't actually give up that many like clear cut opportunities to opposition teams. We don't give up clear big chances to anyone. But our goals against as a result of this is fucking terrible. Like Joe Lewis has got the worst stats in the league in terms of expected saves. 
But, yeah. but that's something because we've literally had games this season where Lewis has not had a shot on target to deal with, but has still conceded at least one goal. And it's just like, it's madness. Like Ross County last week, Ross County didn't have a shot on target for the entire 90 minutes. They get a penalty kick with five minutes to go. They score it, done. Lewis's stats look horrendous from that perspective because even in that situation, I don't even know how that stat works because they don't count penalty kicks in that stat. So he's like getting minus percentage points for that. Bizarre, absolutely crazy. I guess the big thing for you guys this season is worst defence in the league by, by quite some distance. 58 goals conceded, averaging 1.7 a game, I think that works out as. Um, yeah. And it, it doesn't look as though McGee's got to grips with that situation at all either. No, and I do feel for him in that aspect because um, an issue that we had, well, when we had Lee Ashcroft and Ryan Sweeney as the, as the centre-half partnership, it was pretty solid. Like that was that that was our strongest backline, and that looked capable of a uh, of being a Premiership backline. Uh, but Lee Ashcroft got injured, uh, and he, he wasn't fit until Mark McGee's second or third game in charge, and then he got injured again off the bat. So we've not really had our, our strongest uh, pairing at the back really since uh, well, I want to say maybe October. Like at least with a fully fit Lee Ashcroft, not one that's just back of four months of injury. Um, and I feel, I feel for, uh, for McGee in that aspect because I feel that if he had Ashcroft available or Adam Legsden's available as well that's a, that's a massive miss uh, Ian Lawler has, has been our keeper um, the, the past few weeks um, and I, I, I thought he looked ropey at Dens yeah I think he's, he's yet to really properly settle in I think because he's been chucked in the deep end and it's all kind of coming at once his first game he made a, he made a mistake that he got away with uh, against Peterhead in the Scottish Cup, if you saw that, he kind of tripped yeah. over the ball and took out the Peterhead striker and amazingly a penalty wasn't given. Um, so I, I think stuff like that perhaps doesn't, I would say it adds a, a bit of pressure, but you know, it, it sticks in your head and you, you know, the fans won't let him forget it. Uh, so I think he's yet to really uh, settle in mentally, if, if that makes sense. If you know what yeah. I'm trying to say. I don't feel like I've worded it particularly great. Uh, but if, if we had uh, Adam Legsdens and, and Lee Ashcroft available, I certainly feel that the, we could have a better grasp on our defensive records. I, f- I feel for Mark McGee in that aspect. And I was the exact same when Jim McIntyre was manager as well. Uh, we had Josh Meekings at the time, who I think would have been really well suited to the way McIntyre wanted to play, uh, but was injured that entire season. Um, and of course was back under um, McPake the following season and it didn't really work out for him. Because uh, I don't think he, he suited suit the, the style under the managers he actually played under. It was the one that he was injured. <laughs> it would have suited him. And yeah, and I think he said that as well, Mark McGee. He said that in a, he did a Q&A with the fans. He said that was his idea. He just wanted to kind of demonstrate the fans that he's he's not here to be a, some sort of mercenary. He wants to show that there is a, a bit of passion between him and his assistant, Simon Rusk. And they want to take the time to explain what they're trying to do to the fans. And um, he, he openly uh, expressed that he really wished he had both Lee Ashcroft and Killian Sheridan fit mm. and available because they would suit the way he wanted to play. And I, I, can, see, I can see that. Um, he's not been shy of saying he, he wants a target man up front uh, but the best he's got is Danny Mullen who's again not the tallest guy in the park he's, he's doing uh, half, half of the job expected of him and he's in form uh, at the moment as well a couple of goals in his last few games but then again he's also as you say it was noted earlier he's out of contract in the summer so maybe his head's elsewhere thinking about how he's going to stay in the division You know, if, if we're not yeah I'd, I'd completely forgotten Killian Sheridan existed until he was on view from the terrace um, yeah. last week or, or for the last episode Ethan we've kind of focused on what's maybe gone wrong for you tell you tell us what's been the 
the bright sparks of the of the season for for Dundee? The bright sparks when it's all clicking well. Uh, I think I think most fans and, and the players will definitely agree that when Dundee get the ball uh, ball on the turf and start passing it around, we actually look like a good football team. There is the the sparks there of a Premiership side, but unfortunately, um, it, it's more than just about what you can do with the ball. It's more about getting the results, and we've we've made a like, struggle with that, of course. Uh, but the bright sparks is getting to see um, in the start of the season. I loved watching us move forwards. Like yeah, this this great dynamic of having uh, you know Charlie Adam acting like a quarterback almost. You know, playing the ball from so deep and finding either Paul McMullen or Luke McCowan. You know, both small but really fast wingers uh, with good tricky feet, and then trying to supply the ball in the box for um, uh, you know for you know, Cummings where he was scoring. Uh, Lee Griffiths, who unfortunately couldn't really find his shooting boots, unfortunately. Uh, and, and Danny Mullen was injured for the, a good start of the, the first three months of the season. Then as soon as he was back, he was in amongst the goals, scoring against Celtic, scoring against, uh, what was it? it was like three goals in three games, Celtics and Johnston and uh, someone else. Uh, so that, that's probably been my best um, experience of the season is when it, when it will have clicked and it has looked good, it's been very enjoyable to watch. Uh, the highlights of the season have probably been the, the 2-1 victory against Aberdeen at Dens and uh, the 2-1 victory at Tynecastle against Hearts. We're glad to oblige. <laughs> <laughs> the, the one at Aberdeen against Aberdeen for me was was, was awesome uh, because uh, I know there's a lot of, there's a lot of controversy in regards to Lee Griffiths, but uh, you know when I was like eight nine years old, he was my hero because he was scored for us you know every week. So just getting to see him score at Dens again, that, that was pretty surreal and pretty cool to see because that's something I hadn't seen since I was a I was a child. Um, so that 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 was stuck in the head um, in that aspect. And I remember the atmosphere being quite good. And as you said, Charlie Adam running the show it was, it was that was a great great watch. I'm glad you had a good evening. I, I certainly didn't. I'm not going to lie. Let's. Oh, we talked about January the transfer window a little bit. One piece of business that went from Aberdeen to Dundee was one Niall McGinn. How has he got on at Dens Park? Just before we ask that, Ethan, Niall McGinn reappeared on Tinder apparently overnight as well. Just going to point that out to anyone that's out there listening to it. Yeah, we thought he'd completed Aberdeen Tinder, but he's clearly not. Right, awesome. Uh, I don't know if I'd write Swipe Like, but uh, <laughs> yeah, Niall McGinn, some, some fans were a bit upset by it. Uh, uh, as you may recall, back in like 2013. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. He um, he scored the penalty to put us down, and then celebrated from the dairy. Um, but no, he's he struggled to nail down a starting play. I think under McPake, obviously that's the manager that signed him. That's the the vision he's been sold on. Yeah, uh, and McPake stayed. We we'll probably get to see a lot more of him. Uh, he's not featured an awful lot with Mark McGee, but I think he has been identified as probably the best finisher in the club. He's I think he's maybe struggling with uh, with fitness. Uh, I overheard that he was meant to be starting on Saturday then had to come on uh, the bench for the last 15 minutes or so. Um, I, I certainly still see that he's got quality there. Um, he, he made he didn't make an instant impact to begin with because he hadn't played a full 90 minutes of football and I think he said in over a year and that wasn't even for Aberdeen, it was for uh, Northern Ireland. I know, yeah. So he, he didn't really make a, an impact immediately. His debut, I did think he, he looked decent and he had something to offer. But he failed to kick on in this massive run of games. And looking back on it, that massive run of games maybe was the decisive factor whether McPake was going to keep his job or not in John Nelms' mind. We had uh, Ross County in Dundee United at home and St. Johnston away. And that's that's a run where you're thinking, right, six to nine points, let's see it. And I think we uh, we drew nil-nil in two of them and got beat 2-1 in the other. 
So, so two points out of a potential nine. I think that was maybe the, the nail on his coffin. And McGinn played in all three of these, looked impressive off the bench against St Johnston. And the other two, he just he wasn't at the races whatsoever. Every um, every shot, every cross was far over hit right in the stands. So he didn't take to the fans instantly. But then just just the when the results were looking our way, when we won at Tynecastle, for instance, I'm sure he got uh, one of the assists uh, for Danny Mullen. He scored against Peterhead. He's looking a bit more in his element. Then Mark McGee's first game, he got both assists at Parkhead, both from uh, set pieces, his free kicks and corners. I, th- I, I personally think that he, um, from set pieces, I think he's got a better delivery on him than, than Charlie Adam, uh, from what I've seen so far this season. I think Charlie Adam's a better crosser from open play than he is uh, on, a, on a dead ball. And I, I think he still has much use for Dundee I was hoping to see him start on Saturday because I certainly feel he's probably the best finisher in the club he still has uh, a great crossing ability and although it sounds so basic it's such an an essential fundamental for our team to have because we're struggling to score goals we're struggling to get the ball in the right area and to me he strikes me as a guy that can find the killer pass pick out the the strikers we're looking to pick out Uh, so he's he's not been um, he's not been awful he's not been great He's he's been pretty steady, but we've not seen off a lot of him, and I'm hoping to see uh, more of him because I think he does have qualities that can uh, really boost the side. Don't about you, but as Ethan's talking there, I'm just seeing it's written in the stars here, isn't it? That Nell McGinn comes back to Tawdry <laughs> and gives out either the creativity or he gets the goal, which is just fits the script because we can't create chances for love nor money at the moment. And yeah, like you say, Nell, he didn't really feature at all under Stephen Glass. It was peculiar. Um, looking at that he even got the new deal um, mm-hmm. and yeah he's not played much um, but obviously a player very well thought of up here and yeah it's uh, it's good to know that he's uh, he's made an impact in there maybe not so much as you were expecting but it's good to know he's getting on yeah I, I honestly put that down to the fact that he hasn't played as much as he probably should have I think if he was playing every week and had uh, if he had better fitness to begin with I think he would have probably hit the ground running but uh, the more I, the more I see him the more I, I like to watch him but yeah, it's just a case of we've not seen an awful lot of him. I think he's just been struggling with fitness. And yeah, that's I couldn't get my head on that either. Stephen Glass, I, I believe, did give him a new deal because um, McPake said that we tried to sign him in the summer. Uh, but he opted to stay at Aberdeen, been given the new deal to fight for his place. And then, yeah, almost not involved at all. Ethan, Luke, um, we'll, we'll wrap things up here, mate. Um, appreciate your time. Just give us your prediction for Saturday. What you what you think is going to happen? I'm going to be a fun killer uh, <laughs> and say nil-nil. There's no way it's nil-nil, mate. We don't keep clean sheets. Yeah, ne- neither neither do we. But that now I'm going to think this will be the occasion. <laughs> like, you know, what, <laughs> what happens when uh, you're know, saying an, an unstoppable force meets an unmovable object? It's like what happens when two sides that struggle to score and can't defend collide one another? I think that's that'll probably be a nil-nil one in my head anyway. The ball will probably spend most of its time out of play. <laughs> More likely than not, I would imagine. Excellent. Ethan Hampton, pleasure having you on the ABZ Football Podcast. Great to talk to you. Um, I was going to say we'll hopefully get you back on the show um, to talk about things, but it might not be next season, I don't think. Or it could be. Could be at this rate, we might both be in the championship. So That's a bold move ruling us out of being in the championship next year. <laughs> we might both be in the championship, so it might happen next year. Um, if not, all the best for the rest of the season. All the best. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, all, all the best for the season. If, if, if I see you next season, that'll be surprising. But uh... If you see us next season, it's gone horribly, horribly wrong for us, I tell you. Hey, hey, hey. Dundee are five points away from St. Johnston right now. They've, the chance is still there. Those, those inspirational tactics from Mark McGee, I think they're going to work. 
<laughs> we'll wait and see. We'll see. Ethan, nice one. Top man. Catch it on. Thanks, guys. So that wraps up part one of this week's show. Join us after the break as we bring you part two of our conversation with former striker Lee Miller. To play us at this half, here are Audio Kicks with their brand new track, Hardest Game, which is released this coming Friday, the 29th of April on Fat Tippy Records. You can follow Audio Kicks on Twitter at Audio Kicks Band. You can download the track in all your usual streaming locations on Friday. Check out the description within this podcast for those links. And they are also playing at Krakatoa in Aberdeen this coming Saturday. The same day we release the video for Hardest Game. Entry, £5, but free if you get there before 8 o'clock. Here is Audio Kicks. For disclosure, that's my band with Hardest Game.
This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Jed McPhee and Flexiboard. Flexiboard is an adjustable height dartboard frame that slides from full height to 150cm and 137cm, opening the game up to allow juniors and wheelchair users to play on the same board against anyone. Perfect for use in the house, pubs or youth academies. Get in touch by searching at Flexiboards on Twitter. If you're looking for a bullseye, make Flexiboards your first stop at Flexiboards on Twitter. Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Now, before we get into the main part of the second half, boys, it's fair to say that this podcast is fueled by, what, two things in the main? Beer. Beer is one. Gav? It's coffee for me, for sure. Caffeine and beer are the two main things. A bit of self-loathing. Yeah, couldn't do this otherwise. No. An intense hatred for anyone who rips into Aberdeen Beach. <laughs> All will be revealed when you listen to this later. <laughs> Four things. Now, listen, we're into, what, we're over 40 episodes now, including the minis. Um, which are not really minis, but never mind. Not that I've been counting, but 43 episodes have gone out. 43, there we go. And um, 44 when you're listening to this one. <laughs> there we go. Maths are a strong point. And hey, guys, I guess look, we, we, the three of us would like to take the opportunity to thank everybody who's listened to the show, subscribed to it, whatever, for taking the time to check out the show, give us your feedback, um, whether that's positive or negative, via Twitter, emails, whatever that we see. So thank you to everybody who's, who's listened to the show. Even the Kilmarnock fan that took a really strange amount of umbrage with my pretty innocuous tweet congratulating Derek McInnes and Tony Dockery. Yeah, he really did, didn't he? What was all that about? I mean, you're fucking weird, but still, thank you for engaging. Yeah, that block button was getting hammered hard after that um, that incident on, on Friday night, it's fair to say. Um, yeah, boys, uh, I'm not wanting to talk for you, but yeah, we'd like to thank everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think we... We've maybe mentioned periodically this this idea had been out for, for quite some time. It's probably fair to say it was lockdown that sort of made us actually do something about it. And it all started just as a way to basically keep in touch. I mean, generally, we see each other at the football orbits and pieces out with that. But, you know, people have got things going on now that they didn't have probably 15, 20 years ago when we first started going to games. 
together. So it started as a just a hobby and a sort of suck it and see type thing, just mainly as a way of keeping in touch once a week. And obviously as things have evolved and you can get out and about to the games, I think it's fair to say we all really quite enjoy it. Sometimes I sit here on a Sunday like, oh, we've been shit again. I'm really not looking forward to have to, to go through this. But actually more often than not, um, I come out with a thing that was good and anyone who's taken the time to actually appear on it's always been really good to get different points of view from people that are Aberdeen fans in various parts of the world or, you know, having been ex-players and stuff like that. So, yeah, anyone who's taken the time to actually listen to this and engage in most forms, really, really grateful to it. I don't think any of us thought it would actually get this far. Graham's uh, stolen my thunder there with a lot of that. Um, yeah, likewise, had no idea what to expect when we started this. Um, from the very beginning, the players, the the managers, the journalists, the Aberdeen fans who've appeared on this show and given us trust that we hadn't even begun to earn. It's been incredible. We've spoken, heard stories that have made us laugh and in some cases cry. Eugene Daddy, still think about that to this day. Yeah, what a guy. And through this all, you know, we've spoken, we've made friends and been able to raise money for the Aberdeen Community Trust and make a tiny little bit of help to the situation in Ukraine. It's it's been, yeah, it's been an incredible 40 weeks. So long may that continue. Absolutely. And hey, listen, we we see all the hashtag data. We know you guys fucking love it, right? Listenership grows week on week. These are mad for it. Let's not try and beat around the bush on this one. And listen, it's become all the rage for podcasts these days to hide extra content or promote, I don't know, ad-free versions of their shows or whatever in exchange for your hard-earned dough via Patreon or whatever. You can probably see where this is going. I'm just joking. Because, boys, we don't believe in setting up any sort of like two-tier listener scheme. We want everyone to get the same content at the same time, no matter what. So you'll never see us set up like a Patreon account for the show. Not happening. Definitely not. And fundamentally, it's against the whole point of why we did this, which was a bit of a laugh between the three of us. And then we thought we'll put it out there and if anyone likes it and people do seem to to enjoy it or they can take it and leave it, you know, week about, maybe depending on who we've got on and that, and that's fine. And that's the way it should remain. It shouldn't be uh, the haves and the have-nots. It's not a DNA. No, I think, yeah, like DNA has become divisive mainly because of the points that get allocated to it. And I don't want to get into a whole DNA debate. Was it? But yes, the principles are the, are the same. If anyone's an Aberdeen fan, and they like what we do, then they should get access to it. We did not want to make this exclusive. This is for everyone. We are not Graham Spears. Definitely. Uh, for the point, in, in many, many ways. ways. <laughs> yeah, I can't play it. the piano. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, for the points of doubt, and in case like people aren't aware, they don't follow us on Twitter or whatever, I want to make this clear as well. We, we don't take any profit from the sponsors that advertise on our show. We made a conscious decision at the start of this that we would offer up sponsorship opportunities to local businesses or businesses that support Aberdeen Football Club in various different ways. Uh, we made it very clear that at the start of the season, all the profits that we make from the sponsors that, that come into us, that profit is passed to the Aberdeen FC Committee Trust with the help of our sponsors and with the help of you guys out there on Twitter and other people who've contributed via various different raffles that we've organised over this year. We've already donated, I think it's just about £3,000 to a combination of the Aberdeen FC Community Trust 
and the Ukraine appeal um, after what was going on there um, or what is still going on in Ukraine. Anyway, we'll just get that out there, make it very clear to people, because I know there's some people out there who still think that we're making like shitloads of cash off this or something daft like that, and we're absolutely not. If we are, I've not seen any of it. I was going to say the exact same thing. If we are, Gary's getting it. Well, I ain't seen any of it either. So, um, so Sarah's getting it. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, we we love doing the show, guys. Correct. Even though it can be a bit of a labour love sometimes on a Sunday evening. And listen, for all of you out there who are out there, if you fancy keeping us in beers or coffees to enable us to keep bringing you the show fully fueled as it is, then look head on over to our Kofi page at Kofi. That's ko-fi.com slash ABZ football podcast. You can buy us a beer. We'll make sure to show you our appreciation in our upcoming episodes. It'll top up our fridges ready for another round of bottom six glob fixtures. It'll keep Gavin and caffeine while he's editing the show. Listen, we appreciate all the listeners who've listened to the show so far this year. Let's round off the season in as much of a positive way as we possibly can. With that said, it's now time for the return of our ex- series of exclusive interviews with Don's personalities of past and present. And it's part two of our chat with a striker who finally signed for the Don's in the summer of 2006, going on to make 145 appearances in red, scoring 33 goals in the process, and who featured in many of those memorable games that Neil Fackey touched on earlier on during the 2007-2008 UEFA Cup run. Now, previously we left off, it was that game that, Neil mentioned the 2-0 win over Rangers last game of the season to confirm our place in Europe. We pick up the interview from that summer on. Absolutely. It's the one and only Lee Miller. Graham, can you remember the Lee Miller song, by the way? No, I can't. Which I should be able to because you absolutely loved him. I loved him. presumably bored the fuck out of me with that. I honestly can't remember that. What didn't really have much of longevity. No, it didn't. It just ended with it's all because of his hair. I recall it at that Aloha game where we all got Fucking drenched. Yeah. Do you remember it? His name is Lee Miller yeah. with long flowing locks. locks. He bullies defenders and dives in the box. the box. He's good on the ground and he's good in the air. And it's all because of his hair. It's Lee Miller. And that summer it sees Russell Anderson depart for Sunderland. A uh, friend about a million pounds donates his fee to the to the youth academy and tells you all about Russell Anderson as a person. Yeah. Scott Severin takes on the captain's armband. I mean, tell us your thoughts on both Russell and Scott as players, teammates and captains. Yeah, everything about them. Just so professional, but professional when they had to be. But they were always in amongst the banter, the jokes, making everybody feel included, if that makes sense. Um, their sense of humour was very, very unique. Um, and <laughs> Can they imagine. Just, they just pulled everybody together. So they did, and Seve took on that, that role from uh, Russell. The two of them played so well together in terms of being the same team, and then Seve coming in as, as captain was, was great. He was a, a real leader, a real leader, a proper moan, oh, yeah? but in a good way in terms of he didn't want to let him down. That won't let him down. So as soon as you want, you're like, oh, "Fuck off, man!" But, but you wanted to, you wanted to make sure you were doing it right because that's the way he done it. He was a proper professional, savvy and and Russell. So it, it was testament to them. It was such captain Aberdeen Football Club is a massive achievement, a massive achievement. It's such a big club to to lead that 
that club, and especially in Europe as well. And I think, I don't know, I've never, I've never asked Russell, or I don't know if anybody has, but does he regret not having an opportunity to play in Europe with Aberdeen? It's on my list to ask him. It's just the way that that yes. following campaign works out. Yeah. And we'll come on to that following campaign now. It's, it's, it's memorable on three levels that season, I think. So let's talk about the positives first. Um, I was going to shit sandwich it, but we won't. We'll just put the shit bit to the end. Um, <laughs> the UEFA Cup run itself, right? So you play in the nil-nil draw at home with Dnipro in the first round. A really good performance, actually, at home by Aberdeen against a, a decent Dnipro side. They absolutely thumped Hibs the, the season yeah. before or a couple of seasons before in, in Europe. But the nil-nil draw is scant reward, and I think a lot of people on the outside probably thought our chance had maybe gone at that point. But presumably, though, the view in the squad's a bit different. It's nil-nil. You've not conceded an away goal. A score draw in Ukraine, and it's, it's all up to play for. Yeah, I think, listen, getting into that game, like we knew what we were up against, they had some quality players, real good players. Yeah. Getting into, we're kind of getting blind, but to just, you know when a player's good, see when he manipulates the ball, he's passing the ball, you're thinking these are playing good football here, we're, we're up against it kind of thing. I never played in any of the two games either. Um, I was watching it from the side, which is probably harder because you can't do anything, you can't affect the game. Um, so no, the boys done tremendously well to get that that result to then obviously kick us on from there. I was going to call. I mean, you're an unused sub in Ukraine mm-hmm. for the for the turn leg. Is that a pure kind of tactical call by the manager there? He's wanting legs up the pitch, or probably I. Um, I was stripped off, ready to come on at one point, um, but Daz Mackey scores a goal and we just defend, absolutely defend with everything we've got. I was going to say, as a fan, that 62 minutes after Mackie scores is probably, I think, to this day, the longest I've ever endured watching Aberdeen. Oh, it was horrendous. That felt like it went for about four days. On the bench, what did that feel like? Oh, horrible. Absolutely horrible. Because, again, you can't do anything about it. You're just trying to, you're trying to have some sort of influence with encouragement, tacticals, just shouting onto the boys, just hold it together, keep going, keep fighting. Boys are out in their feet. Um, I'm stretching away at the side of the side of the dugout ready to go on thinking oh, I'll go on and I'll just try and hold the ball I'll try and buy as many fills as I can just take the sting out of the game and then it just fizzled out fizzled out and then we, we were, were through it's unbelievable it was um, Xander Diamond and Constantine were centre back that night weren't they is that who it was I'm sure it was. it was they were both excellent I remember they a young team as well yeah Nipro had a centre back that I swear to God he's like took shots from forty yards every time he could. Every one of them felt like they hit the bar. Yeah, wobblies everywhere. I I remember big langer, liners complaining about it, thinking, "Fucking, I've never dealt with a shot like that before." <laughs> I was going to say like Jamie Lanky was a guy who got like a lot of stick as an Aberdeen goalkeeper. Um, but that night, some of the saves he pulled off that evening. Jamie were... was brilliant. Langer's was brilliant for us. It really was. Um, see the amount, and it'd be interesting to look back on. See the amount of attacks. Goals we get from Langers grabbing the ball, sidewinder. He was incredible at it. Absolutely incredible at it. He doesn't get enough credit. Big Langers, a great big guy. I'm imagining big celebrations in the dressing room after that one. Can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> can't, honestly, can't remember. That's a, that's a yes then. That's a yes. I just we were just going mad. We just we couldn't believe it. Um, we're delighted. Um, and just everything about it. it was just a real gutsy performance. Um, to get us there. 
I feel it's probably pertinent to ask this question now because um, of everything that's going on in Ukraine at the moment. But just your recollections about traveling to Dnipropets, the area and everything there. I mean, it's an area of Ukraine that's had its challenges, let's put it politely, um, before even now. What was what, what are those kind of scenarios, circumstances like for players when you travel? You don't get a lot of time, obviously, in country to see things, but you get a wee bit of time. No, we n- we never had much time. We went a couple of walks and stuff, and it was okay. very, like you say, it was very run down and the poverty, I think, is really bad. Uh, but no, we, we never had, we, we're obviously stuck away, hidden away in a, a hotel and just you're on your kind of laptop yeah. or whatever and watching different things. But no, it wasn't it wasn't a great state as of what I can remember back then. But um, And we're obviously getting into the game thinking, oh, it's not a good area, so it can't be that good a team if that's if that makes sense. But it shouldn't have been, shouldn't have been about that. Um, but no, credit to them, they were a, they were a really good outfit, and uh, they were they were handy. We were lucky to get get through really was, well. Was Timoshuk playing for for Dnipro at the time? I can't remember. No idea. Gav, you'll know. You're the you're the stat over here, Gav. I don't recall him playing. No, okay. <laughs> there we go. That doesn't mean he didn't, but I don't recall. Yeah. Anyway. Was that frustrating for you, Leon, a personal ever to not to have played in those tours? Is it just one of those where you have to go, you know what, the manager's got a call to make and... Absolutely not. No, no, no. I totally respected everything that, that Jimmy's done that night. Um, the, first and foremost, we had to get through the tie. That was it. I, I didn't really... This mismatch might sound bad. I, I didn't really mind if I played or not, as long as the team went through. Yeah, I was warming up at the side of the park and ready to go on in some stage and never and never featured but no no I wasn't I wasn't bothered the boys put in an unbelievable shift and, and credit to them fair to say it's quite the group that we end up being drawn in it's uh, Panathinaikos Lokomotiv Moscow Atletico Madrid and Copenhagen that await you're back in the starting lineup for a defeat in Greece and then the 1-1 draw at, at home to Lokomotiv I think it was the guy that ended up yep. playing forever and that scored no, Chelsea, Billy Branislav of... Ivanovic. Is not Billy Letnov? Mm-hmm. I thought it was Ivanovic who scored. Or is it Billy Letnov that got, was getting some stick off the south stand and he went a bit rash? Don't ask me. <laughs> Please don't ask me. But anyway, while you're doing it, Gav, I'll go and check because that's what we do. Ah, it's um, it's one of the coldest nights in oh. living memory at Putaudry that night. Um, and obviously, you end up keeping your place for the visit to Madrid. The away fixture in Madrid, I, myself, Gary, Graham, who's not here, remember this vividly Aberdeen fans are camped out overnight in the concourse of the RDS to get themselves a spot uh, for the tickets were the players aware that that was that was going on I wasn't aware of that no um, that's incredible because I think I think the tickets went on sale after the locomotive game the next day and it was like oh, it was it was so cold and I think it was a storm meant to be coming the next night the reason this happened was because first of all it was Ivanovic that scored so I'll just check it <laughs> I think um, Billy Letinov must have got some stick off the fans and went a bit raj then. Quite possibly. The reason it happened was because the initial chat was that we were only gonna get a thousand tickets for the away leg in, in or the away fixture in Madrid. And of course everyone had, as soon as the draw had been made, everyone was like That was the one, wasn't it? That's the one because yeah. you're like Madrid, away, brilliant. And I think as well, there was something happened when the draw was made. I remember, someone will correct me about this on Twitter later. I know they will, because this is what always ends up happening. But I think the fixtures got announced a particular way. I think they were reversed initially. I think we were meant to be home to Panathinaikos, at home to Madrid. 
away to Copenhagen, away to Moscow initially, and then they all got switched around the other way for some reason. All right, okay. No, I, didn't know I that. don't know why that happened. And we were told we were only getting like a thousand tickets or something for Madrid. Everyone had already basically booked their flights to Madrid. So everyone's mm-hmm. like, I'm not fucking going to Madrid and not having a ticket for the game. <laughs> Fuck that. <laughs> so the tickets went on sale the next day. I remember it vividly. I remember no one from my ex-employer are going to be listening to this. So I can happily say I ended up pulling a sickie that afternoon. <laughs> Telling everybody on like our group, it would have been it wouldn't be WhatsApp, obviously, but it's been text messages, I imagine. Yeah, Tickets uh-huh. on sale like tomorrow morning at nine. And there'd been a rumor someone had driven past the main stand at Potodre. And there was about a hundred people already queued up. Oh, really? At like five o'clock in the afternoon for nine o'clock the next morning. So I'm like to the boys, fuck guys, we need to get down there because like, I'm not going to Madrid not having a ticket. Fuck that. Yeah, of we all get down there camping chairs and sleeping bags and everything thinking we're going to be outside for the night finally at some point somebody at the club decides you can't have a slot sitting out in the street <laughs> we opened up the main the Richard Donaldstand concourse and it was just bedlam in there all <sighs> evening but the worst thing about it was the worst thing about it was they'd, they'd actually on your way in they'd marked you so they knew who was in oh right like, uh-huh I could have just gone home. Yeah. Why the fuck right, did I end up sleeping there for the night? As it was, we ended up getting about 5,000 tickets. It didn't make a blind bit of difference. I not about that. That's unbelievable. It just shows you the passion, the, the desire from the fans. 9 a.m. came round and you, you were just given your number. It's like, oh, could have done this last right. night. <laughs> it was like, I, I remember, I remember like my, my partner at the time, I was on the phone to her, like, I'm sleeping overnight in the McDonald's. Can you go as for us and do like a beer run? And it was like, <laughs> <laughs> those giant pizzas from what's the name of the place in Aberdeen Gav you remember oh, it was a snappy uh, tomato or, yeah that sounds right who did like the gate crash of pizza like 42 inch jobs you know like they were getting delivered by the dozen and this, it was ridiculous what a night that was I've never seen was anything it, like was it good though was it good atmosphere it was good crack yeah 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 that's yeah. good though the state of the toilets the next morning wasn't great I'll know, I'll know the like next that, morning but... after an hour both out of operation <laughs> Not great, not great. Uh, so we'll get we'll get back to the football league. Um, Athletic Madrid comes around, obviously. It's Vicente Calderon. They had a team of superstars at that point, um, a young Aguero to name but one. Yeah. Your memories of playing Atletico and how much did it mean to the players to see the, the level of sport? It was two packed out sections of the Calderon. I loved it. I, I absolutely loved it, everything about it. Um, I quite liked see with the European games where you get to train in the stadium the night before yeah. I love that I love that getting used to that and just soaking it all in before obviously the fans come in and stuff but no the atmosphere that night and I always remember it to the day I die is the sound of Spanish fans celebrating a goal is totally different yeah. from anywhere I've ever experienced it was a pure they said it yeah it's, oh, it was like proper Whoa, this is cool, man. <laughs> it's, vis- it's visceral, isn't it? It's like that. Oh, it was, yeah. it was, it was really, really good to be involved in that. I, I loved it. Obviously, we get beat, but I loved everything about it. Just being involved in it. The pitch was like an ice rink. You just you put a pass if you didn't hit it exactly where you wanted to hit it. It was shooting off, and you just and you watch your Messi's Ronaldo's and all that playing on these pitches and. They're just inch perfect. Every, every cushion touch. See if you took a slightly bad touch on these pitches, the ball was away. The ball was absolutely miles away from you. And you looked like a terrible player. 
but see training on it the night before it was like whoa getting used to it and obviously you're used to it in the game and stuff and that. that's obviously why they do that but even playing with the Nike footballs and that everything was just it was just cool man <laughs> Aye, those touches that's just like watching me at goals on a Thursday night <laughs> to be honest um, for everybody involved in that it's an amazing trip I mean I, th- I think I remember seeing a picture you guys did the, the Burnabout Stadium tour that's right aye, I so did aye. the day before I think um, yeah mm-hmm. Still to this day, I feel so sorry for the poor bastard that was doing the, the trophy room element of the tour. Because he had uh-huh. to put up about 5,000 Aberdeen fans coming in being like, thinking they were hilarious. Him hey, in, first the 1983 Cup Winners Cup, eh? First that in? Did you just win that in? And the boys got to be like, no, we got beat by Aberdeen in that one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, as I recall Next. as well. Yeah, exactly. And then the next group of them, him in. The nineteen eighty cup winners cup. <laughs> and as I recall, because of the fact that it, was it wasn't tight, a trophy room, it was a trophy stand. Oh, it was ridiculous. <laughs> exactly. Fucking honestly, just yeah. ridiculous. Um as I recall, I think because there was five teams in the group, it meant we had the next week off. And there was a permutation popped out of nowhere that meant if Copenhagen and Locomotive both lost their fixtures that week, Aberdeen could beat Copenhagen or final match day and come third and qualify. Say, uh, yep, yep. As fate would have it, the 5th of December, <laughs> Copenhagen are defeated 2-0 at home against Atletico. Panathinaikos produced the same result against Locomotive. Graham and I were at a gig in Aberdeen and for the life of me, I can't remember who we were seeing. I want to see it was Idlewild. And we were sitting there, again, this is like pre- Live score or fought mob mm-hmm. or anything, yeah. Constantly checking on like the BBC website to see what the scores are. It pops up actually, holy shit, it's finished 2 0 in both those games. Beat Copenhagen and we're through just before that match against the Danes. What was Jimmy's team talk for that one? Do you know what? It was <laughs> what I can remember anyway. It was quite calm about the whole situation. We knew what we had to do, we knew win this, you're through. Basically, so the first half was just, just blew them away. We could not cope. I can't even remember what the second half was like because it was the first half that was just bang, everything in about it and about it. It was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Well, come on, talk about the game in a minute. I mean, it's a European night that's up there with the very best that Pataudry's ever mm-hmm. hosted. For guys of like my generation who missed out on the original Bayern Munich game in the 80s, this is Pataudry's greatest night for me, this one. Mm-hmm. Um, 4-0, double from Jamie Smith because he was fit. I know in goal, Ricky Foster scores, moves at Aberdeen in the last 32. I'm, I'm, by the way, well, I'm just going to stop you. I'm going to claim that on goal. It's my power. I was going to touch on this in a minute. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. <laughs> the atmosphere that night. I've never heard anything like that, nah. Pataudry, in my entire time of being. Was that not the game, like, it does crazy... Things not, or was it the horns or something like that? It was the horns, that's what it was. That's what it was, the horns. Was it not about two years in advance of the Vuvuzelas, or was it the same year that happened? I can't remember. What what World Cup year was South uh, Africa? 2010, wasn't it? Yeah, we were way ahead of the curve here on this uh, one. Yeah, yeah. Unbelievable, unbelievable. Oh, the atmosphere was ridiculous. Gav, yeah, sorry, I've just realised I've taken your question. Right? I'm so sorry. That's all right. I got carried away thinking about the atmosphere. Just sitting back here enjoying. Um, Lee, your key and a couple of goals, you provide the through ball to Jamie Smith for his second hand. 
I've got it down here as the assist, but let's just call it your goal for the own goal. It's my goal. Yes, um, come on. Did you find playing in Europe suited your style? Loved it. Yeah. I, I, do you know what? It's like, I just like the challenge. I like to go up against best centre-halves in the world and just try and compete and, and make it hard for them. Um, I was obviously hustle-bustle striker. I liked the challenge in there. and knew I would win my fair share, but when you win a header against the likes of Di Michele's or Lucio or players like that, they don't expect it. Same as Bobo Baldi. I love playing against Bobo Baldi because I knew I would win my fair share. See the, the one that I would win, see the next one, I would get a fill. Easily yeah. because he'd be so frustrating, so annoyed with himself for not winning it. Then he would try to muscle me and try to battle me and I would go down and get a fill. So it was I just enjoyed that kind of that kind of battle and it tested me and just rose to the occasion, if anything. After that game, that night, the stadium, the city, everything about it's in raptures. It's like two or three days before Christmas as well, as I remember. Um, <laughs> it was a Thursday night. The next day was Mad Friday in Aberdeen, you know, the night that everyone goes mad night out, <laughs> the last Friday before Christmas. The draw for the last 32 happens that afternoon. Aberdeen get pulled out first out the hat. I still remember it because I was in the house to this day. Old foes in the former Bayern Munich. Where were the squad and what was the reaction like when you pulled Bayern out of the hat? Do you know, you're asking me that and I should, I should know this and the I can't think for the life of me where I first heard that we were playing Bayern Munich. Just some, somewhere but, enjoying Mad Friday, probably. I'm <laughs> probably at the end of March. Oh, well, <laughs> I love it. I love Aberdeen. <laughs> no, I, I actually, I, I can't remember. Um, I can remember when I found out thinking, yes, come on, double header against Bayern Munich. It's not every day you play against these players, these clubs, and having the trip over there, they, to play against them is it was something to really look forward to yeah on to that Bayern Munich game itself what was it like in the build up to that game and was Jimmy again pretty calm about this one or was he a little bit more animated in the build up to that one ah, he, was a, he was a wee bit more animated uh, with this one um, just it's, it's Bayern Munich but, but we knew like obviously we'd blown Copenhagen away and obviously Copenhagen aren't the team that Bayern Munich are but on our day at Putodri we are full stadium with hooters and horns and whatever it is, we, we were a match for anybody. We believed that. We believed we had a squad that could compete. Um, and that that game, again, the atmosphere um, was out of this world. It was like, never, never felt anything like it. Valentine's night, which meant there were 20,000 other halves very disappointed that evening, as I recall. <laughs> they probably get dragged to the game, to be honest. <laughs> But no, it was, it was one to look back on and tell the kids about, yeah, definitely. Yeah, worst games to get dragged to, for sure. Um, the Dons have to weather a bit of a whirlwind start from Bayern, but gradually get in the game, and then you have a huge hand in the opening goal. You keep the ball alive in the box to feed Shawnee Aluko, who then sets up Josh Walker to curl beyond the Bayern goalkeeper and send Aberdeen a goal to the good. If you can, can you just like, remember what's going through your mind at that moment? Now, you're 1-0 up against Bayern Munich. I'm thinking it was the part, I think it was Xander Diamond. Don't know what kind of pass he tried to play into me, but I've actually managed to redirect it yeah. uh, to Shawnee. But no, I just, like you say, it was a whirlwind. It was like, holy shit, man, these are brilliant. <laughs> the start that they made, it was like, whoa, we're in for a long night here. And then, we, like you say, we grew into the game and, and had some good play in the game. And we felt, obviously, going one nothing up and 
the penalty, I don't, well, I can remember it. I don't think it was a penalty either. I think it was incredibly harsh from what I recall. Yes. Thinking back, yeah, thinking back. But the goal that Shawnee scores is class, like sheer class. We're going to refresh people's memory of the calibre of player that was in that Bayern team right now. So they come out of the park, uh, close has a good chance, he blazes over, he latches onto a Luca Tony flick uh, to score, level things up. 12 minutes later, though, Aberdeen are back in front. It's a ball knocked forward by Scott Severin. Finds you, and then your hooked ball over the shoulder finds Shawnee Luco, yep. and he finishes very well, and Aberdeen goes berserk once again. The Bayern centre-half pairing, which was Dimichelis and Lucio, and Lucio is, in my mind, one of the best centre-backs of all time, and they're really, really struggling to deal with Lee Miller. I think there might even have been a Marseille turn in there somewhere. Yeah, there was. A what, sorry? A Marseille, when you spin on the ball. Do you know what? It's such a blur. Even see when you're just speaking about that, I've got proper goosebumps all over my body, man. It's so good, man. So good. Just just reflecting on like like you say, the calibre of player we're playing against. And it was it was a young Shomi Aluko and Josh Walker Aye. in the midfield, along obviously myself and all the other uh, Aberdeen players. But no, it was it was such an incredible night. And the thing is the goals, the goals were really yeah. good that we scored. Yeah, there was yeah. good movements within them, and no, it was it was such a, a memorable night. Yeah, could you feel during the game that you had them rattled? Yeah, yeah. Um, every and I, I, I backed myself. Um, I always backed myself. If I got a run in a certain half. I'd beat them there, no problem. Um, so the first few that I'd beat them, I could see they were rattled. I could see they were like, oh, wait a minute here. We want they were they were players. Lucio was a baller an absolute baller it was a hardy hardy centre half as well but he yeah. wanted to play he wanted his Brazilian he wanted to play the ball he wasn't allowed to do that and, and it was obviously it wasn't a, I don't think uh, Patoja was great at that the actual pitch was great at that time so they couldn't no. really play their football so we played the conditions and, and played them very well so we yeah like you say we, we did definitely rattle them I remember after the game as well Otmar Hitzfeld was their manager he singled you out as causing them major issues he, he I remember distinctly it was in the German press I don't think it got reported particularly well here but he'd highlight the fact that D. Michaelis and Lucio really, oh, really struggled with you oh, that's quite cool and it wasn't because it wasn't the type of player they, they were used to facing up to week on week in the Bundesliga and they were just like so just like what the fuck this is just like but then you say that you've got Luca uh, Tony who's an absolute monster playing against them in training I thought you were a way to use the, the chant there the fool all oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it, that's that's the first I've heard of that. So that's pretty cool, man. Pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll have to try and dig it out. I've I've definitely got it somewhere. I'll dig it out, and if I find it, I'll send it to you. Oh, cool. Next one. I remember that chant about Luca Toni being uh, chanted frequently in the uh, Hofbräu House in Munich, and <laughs> yes. a group of Italian girls behind us telling us off for not for the word, but the pronunciation of his name. Um, <laughs> It's a soft penalty awarded in the second half for handball by Alan Mabry. That sees the Germans equalize again after Langfield saves the initial penalty. And I think Hammett Altendop puts home the equalizer. Bayern probably happy to get back to Germany with a draw after that one. And I'll let Gary take it away when it comes to the return leg. Yeah, I mean, the way tie, I mean, the way tie turns into a bit of a hammering. Um, they clearly <laughs> annoyed the German Giants with the first leg. It was an experience. <laughs> well, I was going to say, it's another huge Aberdeen support. Let's just say that there were a number yeah. of credit cards getting maxed out to their limit on this season. I can only, I can only imagine 
obviously the the journeys that the Aberdeen fans went on that season. Um, credit to them because they always turned out. They always turned out and backed us. And they were on. I think most of them were on the flight with us as well. It was it was cra- it was crazy, man. It was really it was bonkers. It was a strange scenario. I was gonna say I have to tell this story. This might have been the high percentage beer playing playing tricks <laughs> on my mind here, but I remember I had a dream the night before the game where we we held it out nil nil, and then we get a penalty in the last minute, and Lee Miller stepping <laughs> up. Oh, and it's no. like, and the penalty's like, it's like, it's delayed for the longest time. And then I woke up and I, I never knew what happened. Oh, please tell me I scored that one. <laughs> that was it. See if you didn't wake up. See if you didn't wake up, we'd have probably won the game. I was yeah. like, that's a premonition right there. We're going to do it. Uh, and then the first thing that happens <laughs> in that game is Lucio knocks the ball up to Tony, chests off, oh, Podolski I... volley off the bar. It's like, this is going to be a long night. The noise, the noise inside that stadium when that happened, I turned down to Big Sander Diamond. He was like, it was like a ghost. It was like, <laughs> what has just happened here? Oh my god, that was crazy, man! It really was. It was a. It was one of those moments of. Uh, I mean, for me, that's that is unquestionably um, my most favourite Aberdeen trip by a long shot. I did Madrid. Madrid yeah. was great fun. Munich was Munich was just a different level. It was superb. Mm-hmm. It's probably the drunkest Aberdeen support I've ever seen. You've had the entire day <laughs> in the beer halls and you get the train uh-huh. out to the yeah. stadium. And I distinctly remember everybody sobering up pretty fucking quickly when <laughs> Bayern pulled out that move in the opening minute and you're like, I oh, think well. we might have annoyed them last week. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what's happened there. Rattled our cages, yeah. <laughs> we were on the same boat. <laughs> Trust me, we were on the same boat thinking, <laughs> oh shit. But just talk to us, I guess, Lee. I mean, you've played in the Vicente, you've played at Panathinaikos in this run, but the Alliance on such a stage, full house, what was that like? Again, the night before, training in it, with their Adidas footballs I used to play with, just try to wobble free kicks and mess about, me, Chris Maguire, and players like that. It was my, my old man, my dad and my brother came over for the game as well. And they don't, my dad used to go to all my games, but my brother doesn't really get too many games. And they came over and in the warm-up, they're shouting, Lee, it was just, It was just so cool, man, to see them come and support me in this big arena, Alliance Arena. It was... It was surreal, if anything. It really was. That's all the positives uh, gone, <laughs> I'm afraid, from that season. Um, in the League Cup, we managed to progress to the semi-finals against United at Tynecastle. Go a goal up early doors. I think it was, was it Andy? Andy Constantine? Andy Constantine, I want to say, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, um, but it kind of all falls apart quite swiftly afterwards. Game's gone by the time you pick up a second booking for a late foul on Darren Dodds. There always seemed to be a bit of a running battle and animosity between you and Darren Dodds. Yes. Was there any uh, particular reason for this? Do you know No, because he's actually a really nice guy off the pit. I don't know what it was, but Craig Levine used to always play him against me. Always. And he used to... Every player has a player they play against and they kind of find it hard to deal with. I was playing against all sorts of different players. Fine, no bother. For some reason, Darren Dodds was in my head. I, I just couldn't, I, I, I didn't know how to play it. We kind of cancelled each other out. If anything, he would block my run. We, we went for it every game, like proper yeah. fisticuffs, elbows here, elbows there. See, after it, we'd always say, hey, listen, good game, all the best. But he always seemed, I felt as if he always kind of get one over on me and it was so annoying, it was frustrating because I felt, no, I, I, how can I not get past this? I couldn't, I couldn't get it, I couldn't understand it, but just one of those things, I just lost my lost my cool, lost my composure, and off I went. 
What did Jimmy and and Jimmy have to say after that game? And were you given any particular stick for the well, two bookings equals red card? Um, no, I just just held my hands up and just apologised and all the things that you would you would normally do. It was I think the game the game was dead. The game was done by then. But was, yeah. for me to lose my cool, it was it's unprofessional. It was it wasn't like me. It's, and it's it's hard because it means so much to you, and you want to do so well for the club and yourself, and and to just lose it like that, it was just one of those things. The Scottish Cup sees us record a fine victory over Celtic at Parkhead in the quarterfinal replay. A Lee Miller assist for Darren Mackey, uh, which sees that sets up the semi-final with the first division Queen of the South. And I'm afraid, yes, Lee, we do have to talk about this one. <sighs> really. <laughs> Going into that semi-final, there must have been like a real confidence we could be making our way back to the first Scottish Cup final in what would have been eight years of that time. Yeah, do you know what? It came up, it came on, see the lockdown, first lockdown we had, it came on the BBC. Oh, and I, I know. Actually, I actually, I couldn't watch it. It put me in such a bad place, just thinking about what could have been. Because um, obviously we had that, we had that incredible side. We were doing really, really well and Everything just went tits up. Everything um, about it. It was as if we didn't know how to play together. It was. It was. It was weird. It was so strange because everything you done just it, it wasn't working. It was as if we were broken. It was so strange. Um, and seeing that coming on the BBC and people talking about it and people tweeting about it, it was like, oh my god, seriously. Oh, and it just emphasises how bad the result. But not even the result, the performance as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just was. It just wasn't good enough. And the the meetings we had after that game were they were deep. They were really deep. Uh, well, we'll get onto that in a second. Mate. We'll just talk. the game itself. It's it's absolutely bonkers to say the least. Queen of the South take the yeah. lead three times. We always peg them back. I think you set up one or two. I think Andy Constantine scored twice mm-hmm. that day. Yeah, he did. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think we all thought felt in the stands like every time we equalise, okay, that's it, we're back, yeah. we'll go and win this game now. Surely, were you thinking the same on the pitch, or were you just like yeah. completely befuddled? It was just, it's just a, a pure daze. See when I think back at it, we never, we never felt comfortable, and we should have done, we should have done, we should have just took this thing out of the game and played our game, but we get sucked into a fight, a yeah. scrap. And uh, it, it just didn't work for us. It didn't work for us. Yeah. It actually looked, when I think back to the, the meetings that we had and stuff, it it just didn't feel as if we knew what to do on the pitch. It really didn't. It, we just felt as if we were all over the place, sixes and sevens. At the full-time whistle, um, I distinctly remember this, actually. Um, you're, you were one of the very few players who kind of made the effort to come over and applaud the Aberdeen support. Um mm-hmm only to be met with a torrent of stick and abuse, as I recall. Um, yeah. Is that one of those as a player where you you kind of have to put your hands up a bit and accept you're going to get a lot of stick for that result? 100%. 100%. 100%. I, 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 whatever happens, win, lose, or draw, I'll always, I always go to the fans. I always go to the fans and make sure they realise how much we appreciate the support albeit it was a disaster as a result. Everybody was, there was all sorts getting shouted onto me, but I didn't want to disrespect any fans because I appreciated everything that the fans done. Obviously, the, you, you speak about the trips that they made. They've spent an absolute fortune on the club. 
a fortune in a club, travelling here, there and everywhere, they come down to Hamden, they support you, you let them down, you're disappointed, you're absolutely gutted for the result and the way you perform, but you've got to then go appreciate and you've got to show your support for the supporters, for backing you, um, albeit <laughs> there was all sorts of thrown in my direction, but no, I was never one to shy away from um, ownership of a shit performance. Because <laughs> I remember it at the time, I remember feeling on one level quite sorry for you because you were like one of the only guys in the squad that fronted mm-hmm. up and came over to do that at that point. Um, and I was always a bit like, he's like literally one of the, I think it was like yourself and I can't remember who else it was. It might have been, uh, I want to say like Lee Mayer or somebody maybe. Uh-huh. Came over and did it. And I was like, at least they've kind of shown something there. You know, like that's yeah. that's what it is. And, and football's a funny thing. Sometimes these things happen. After the game itself, I mean, what's the reaction like off the jimmies in the dressing room after that one? It was a horrible place to be in. A horrible place. Um, but not even that. Like Straight after the game, obviously, everybody's... I can't even remember if there's a word spoken after that game. Um, but the two jimmies, the routine was the Monday after every single game you have a meeting. So you have a meeting, the manager would come in and say, right, and he would pick somebody um, to talk about the game. So you would stand up and give your opinion about the game, what's went wrong, what's went right, what's went wrong, and all that kind of stuff. That was horrendous. Absolutely. It just it just turned into a, a blaming match, a shouting match. You're this, you're that. You've never done this, you've never done that. It was oh, it was wasn't a good place, but but there was a lot of things come out from that, and there was a lot of things said, dealt with at the time, and then see after that, it's put to bed, and then you're on to the next game, basically. I'll come back on to the manager's routine because I heard you talk about this on a different podcast. There was quite mm-hmm. a funny story about when you first joined, but I want to just stick on the Queen and South game for a minute, if that's <laughs> all right. And yeah. I don't know if I can ask this, but fuck it, I'm going to. One of the players in the squad who. I think a lot of Aberdeen fans think let us down that day was Jackie McNamara. Um, uh-huh. Subbed in the game, straight up the tunnel when he was subbed. Never played for the club again after that. Oh, really? Were there any kind of words between him and management team after that? And I mean, obviously, you're, I'm, I'm saying that to you now, maybe not aware of it, but was any kind of reaction off the players in the squad about that for that sort of action? Just straight up the tunnel, no look back. I'd, I actually genuinely didn't know that. I didn't know. I used to travel up with Jackie um, to training and stuff, and I actually didn't know that. It's the first I've heard they went up the tunnel. Um, so no, I wasn't aware of that. Um, Jackie was a, a first-class professional. He really was. Um, and he gave everything, training sessions, games. I can't remember, personally, every individual in that game, yeah. whether they played well or not, because I don't think anybody played well. But if he was getting singled out, then... As well as everybody's entitled to their opinion, but no, I, I didn't realise that was or from then on. And he didn't play again for Aberdeen. I didn't realise that. Yeah, that was it. That was that was the end of right. it. Um, for his spell. We'll we'll move off the Queen of South story. But <laughs> thank thank you. <laughs> you've just reminded me about the fact that um, I heard this. I think from you on a different podcast. I think it was the one with Grado and that. I have said it in a few different ones. Yeah, <laughs> about when you first joined the club, you were. Completely unaware about this meeting idea. Just go on your first your first week. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I, I didn't I didn't know much about the whole meetings, the Monday meetings after the game, and um, I'd probably been told. You know what? I'd probably been told about it, but I didn't prepare myself. After that, 
obviously incident I prepared myself afterwards and thought about the game because actually I was kind of <clears throat> a lot of players within the game and after the game can they can remember what happened in the game and how it went and who played well what this move and that move I'm not one of those players and I have to really think about it like what was the build up to that and what happened did he play well did I play well that kind of thing but <clears throat> getting into this meeting Jimmy came in and it, all he does is go good lads Lee game and that's all he'll say right so <laughs> he's saying straight away he came for me and it was I can't even remember what game it was but he came to me and said right good lads Lee game so I went uh, what the game we're going to be playing in or the game we've just played in or <laughs> I didn't know what he was talking about he's like what the fuck are you talking about fucking the game I've just played what did you think what the fuck? I was like, uh, and I couldn't remember. I was, I was putting the spot, and that way I just went blank, completely blank. I was like, I don't know, I don't know, and I, I can't remember who jumped in or somebody said something. <laughs> can I say, oh, it was? I thought, oh, this or that, blah blah blah. But it just caught me off guard, and I didn't have a clue what was going on. But from that day on, <laughs> that day in, uh, every meeting after that, on the train or in the in the car journey, I would I would think I would replay the game over my head and I would try and get my answers right and if he ever picked me it would be like ah, I thought we'd done this we'd done that we could have done this better blah, blah, blah. whatever but no he absolutely killed me man and I, <laughs> I can't remember who backed me up or who jumped in and said oh listen it was this that but I never had a clue what was going on <laughs> yeah Lee so that season it finishes up like one of the I think the final big game is, is Rangers up at Audrey. Uh we win that game 2-0 you score yourself um I think that takes the title away from Rangers, if I remember correctly. Yeah. It was a week after they'd played Zenit, St. Petersburg in the in the UEFA Cup final, and Rangers were out on their feet. They had yeah, had nothing left in the tank. That's who we would have been playing in the Scottish Cup final had we got past Queen of the South. You said earlier, you know, you think that team should have done more. Is that like the the one that hurts the most, like that missed opportunity? Yeah, hundred percent. 100% um, because, like I said at the start of the show, I think that team <coughs> deserved, with the players that we had, the internationals we had, everything about it, this, the experience, we should have won some sort of silverware. There's no doubts about it. Um, the performance we put on in Europe were just a really good outfit. And we just, I don't know, for some reason, whatever reason, we just didn't win silverware and it was disappointing. On a personal level for you, that campaign, it's 13 goals and 52 appearances, making you the top scorer for the club and an ever-present in the campaign. The next season, Jimmy brings in Charlie Mulgrew and Mark Kerr from Dundee United. And you also link up with Stuart Duff, who had joined in the previous January. And a certain Tommy Wright joins the club in August. (laughs) What, (laughs) What are your recollections of Tommy Wright, a player who... For most Aberdeen fans, he didn't really live up to the £100,000 transfer fee, although his debut against Motherwell, he headbutts Stephen Craig and then basically <laughs> nearly kills Stevie Hamill. It lives in it for me. You, oh, had, been, you had been replaced by Tommy Wright, so presumably we're watching this on the bench. What's going through your head? <laughs> Tommy was mad, honestly. He was a proper bulldozer of a player. Um <laughs> I don't, do you know what, right? I don't even know if he was any good or not. Um, <laughs> that's the honest truth. He's a cracking guy. He loved the banter. I loved all the, the just the hustle bustle and he loved fighting. He loved fighting. Yeah. You could see that right away. Do you know? 
Do you know what Tommy Wright does for his career now? No, I don't. But I can remember coming into contact with him recently. He's a police officer. No. <laughs> no Hi. chance. Not having it. Nah, yep. nah, not having it. Yep. <laughs> and you know what, I'm sure I, sp- I spoke to him. Maybe, I don't know, about three, four years ago or something like that. No, yep. I'm not having it. Yeah, no he's a policeman chance. now. Honestly, man. I need to find some quotes wow. man, when you say that he loved fighting. Wow. I mean... I need to... No, I need to search him up. I need to get on to him, man. Honestly... No way he's a policeman. No yeah, way. Yeah, man. I'm not even... Like, we... we um. Tommy, bless him, he got voted into... Uh, we, we ran a poll not that long ago for the worst ever Aberdeen 11. Uh, Tommy got voted <laughs> in shocking. to the number nine shirt for that. And this is where the police officer thing came up. Because um, we had a good old chuckle about it. Because I remember after um, <clears throat> after that uh, debut at Fair Park, he'd, he'd said that what had happened on the pitch with him and Craig and then Stevie Hamill was just a bit of banter. In inverted commas. And we were laughing. So we were like, Tommy's not the guy you want to get pulled over and like country lane for speeding for these days because oh. like pushing addiction claim it was a bit and of banter and I'll be banter <laughs> it's one of those seasons for Aberdeen that kind of just plods along a little bit Gav yet I've got sorry you. Lee, Lee I've got I've got to just let you hear this so this is the quote from a recent interview Tommy did oh yeah here we go live reaction he adds I've always been good at dealing with hostile situations due to playing in front of thousands of fans and heated atmospheres when fights used to break out in the tunnel I was playing, I was always the peacemaker. No chance. <laughs> You've got a different guy. You're bamming me up here. <laughs> me up here. Wait a minute. Did you get Tommy on the phone there? No. <laughs> <laughs> Is he going to make a guest appearance on this? I tell you what, I would love to get Tommy right in the show. If you've still got his number, oh, Lee, right? I'll try, I'll try and dig it out. I'll try and, right. I'll try and get a hold of him. I love right. it. We, we won't tell him he came in that vote, though. Because... <laughs> I don't right. want to get my head kicked in. Um, <laughs> as I was just saying, it's one of those seasons that kind of plods along for Aberdeen to an extent. But it's a fruitful one for you. You pick up your second international cap in the November 2008. It's a friendly, Scotland against Argentina, you know, no biggie. Um, it's Diego Maradona's first ever game in charge of the South Americans. You come off the bench at halftime for Chris Iwilomo. I, I nearly got that right. Um it's your second cap. Your first obviously came in Japan in the, the Kirin Cup in 2006, but it's your first and only cap at hand. And how proud a moment for you was it, not just to get full international recognition, like I say, that happened before, but to get some at hand. Yeah, do, do you know what? I was always kind of on the fringes, kind of back up, if anything, if people pulled out. And I, and I was always willing and wanting to go and train and be involved in squads and stuff like that. I'd never, ever pull out. Um, I loved getting away uh, with the national side and, and training with all the good players and getting that experience and just tapping into that that whole that whole scenario, if anything. Um, so no, to get that call up, and I, I didn't think I didn't think I'd play. To be honest, I was going there just for the experience, to get involved, and I would never say no kind of thing. And um, to get on the full second half and obviously such a big game in the lock horns again with Di Michaelis. Of course, well. yeah, yeah. Um, so in, in Maradona's his first game in charge, it was it was it was class. It was real good. I should have actually scored. Um, I remember that. Yeah. I should have scored that header. <laughs> and do you know what? Right, I don't know if you're backing up on this, but it takes a deflection. It's going in. CVR. It's a corner. I'm telling you. I'm I'm telling you right now. I'm thinking it's going in. It takes a wee. <laughs> 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 but no, no. It was just it was great to be involved in the game, and obviously at Hamden. 
Dean Michaelis must have been like, what the fuck? This boy again? <laughs> no, you again. I think I had a hairband at the time as well. <laughs> <laughs> Did you get a chance to meet Maradona? No, I just shook his hand and stuff and just wished him all the best. That's close enough. That's close enough. That's close enough. I touched his hand. I <laughs> Which hand? Best, You've touched the hand of God. Yeah. I think hand it was. Hand of God or, yeah, yeah, good. I think it probably was. Right? That's good. This no, is what I like about this podcast. Cool. We, we get to play the whole kind of like, how many degrees of separation are you now from certain people? <laughs> and that means we're like two to Maradona. So we're, we're, we're laughing. Yeah. So Lee, you also pick up the SPL Player of the Month award in December, but injury in a match gets similar in March sees you miss a month's worth of action, which includes the Scottish Cup six round defeat to Mother to Dunfermline, sorry, on penalties after a 0 draw on the replay at Pataudry. And it's kind of around this kind of point that the pressure feels like it's starting to pile on Jimmy Caldwell and there's questions going around whether he's the right man to carry on. The league campaign straightened itself out and eventually, on the last day of the season, a 2-1 win over Hibs on the final day, including a goal that you probably didn't expect. Whoa, 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 whoa. So, excuse me? Say that again? <laughs> <laughs> Eve McAlambie was some of the most peculiar goalkeeping that's ever been seen in Scottish football history sees a fine Lee Miller finish into an empty Thank net. you. Thank and it means uh, European football is secured once again. Aberdeen finished the campaign in fourth, but all the top four and after the games about the manager, rumours swirling through the city that this could be his last game. And it's within minutes of the full-time whistle. The, the news is confirmed. Jimmy Calderwood and Jimmy Nicola are relieved of their duties. What was the reaction like uh, to this news amongst the squad? We can tell that you obviously have a, a great deal of fondness for Jimmy Calderwood. It, it was it was shock, complete and utter shock. Because um, after every last game of the season, you go up the stairs and you meet the fans and you, your sponsors and different things, and it was just it was a weird atmosphere about the place. And obviously, it felt up through that um, they had gone, and it was like, why, <laughs> why did they go? Uh, we've succeeded. We've done what we set out to do, kind of thing. It was it was just strange, and I'll never ever know why that was the that was the case. Um and it was it was gotten because they'd done so much for Aberdeen at that time, albeit like I say, we never get trophies or whatever, but they were so good for the club. Um and they assembled such a good squad as well. Um it was disappointing. It was disappointing. Sure Duff told the exact same story. It sounded like all like the players were the last to find out that he was gone. We, we yeah. were up the stairs. We were up the stairs we were chatting away and we kind of heard rumors. It was like, nah, surely not. And I can't even remember if they came up or not. Um, but we were all kind of looking about, thinking, what, what's going on here? What, what have you do here? <laughs> it, just, it, was, it was strange. It was really yeah. strange after that, obviously, my unbelievable finish and the good the, the scoreline was so incredible and stuff. <laughs> Mark McGee's the, the, the chosen one to replace Jimmy Caldwell. Um Your initial impressions of the new manager and... Um, that first pre-season trip to Austria? Oh, it was tough, man. <laughs> real, real tough. <laughs> Triple sessions. and um, it, it was pretty strange. It's kind of because I think he thought he was getting a Celtic job. So the whole thing around that, we were kind of played second fiddle a wee bit and it just, I don't know, it just felt a bit weird. It was a bit weird at the time when he came in and, Things never really happened, but that that preseason trip was was tough. Like was really tough. We spoke to Mark Reynolds, well, what two or three weeks ago, and obviously Mark had played under at Motherwell. 
And when he was describing some of the, the pre-seasons they were doing, it was just like, fucking hell. Wow. That is yeah. brutal. And if it's not something that you guys are used to, just to complete, it would just be ridiculous. Yeah, it was. It was. Don't get me wrong, Jimmy's, Jimmy's were tough, but <clears throat> Jimmy loved a night out and stuff. So right. he would make sure, like, every pre-season, we would work hard, we would work our tails off, but we would guarantee we'd get a night out. He would come out with us and drink and do this and that and, um, just make sure you didn't get any trouble. That was you sorted. Whereas it had totally changed in terms of there was basically said no nights out. There's no nights out. You will get your time to yourself at the end of the season in the summer. We are here to do a job. Which do you know what? Looking back at it, you think do you know what he's got a point. But when you've got so many players and you've got that culture, it's hard to just go bang phew, nothing. You know, and uh, pre-season trips is about team bonding. Yes, it's getting fit and all that kind of stuff, but you need that kind of social side away from it, and that kind of didn't really happen um, for us. Do you think you kind of misjudged that a little bit with the squad coming in? Because the squad was still, it was Jimmy's team, wasn't it? Yeah, I think he probably did. I think he probably did, yeah. Um, but we had really, we had big characters. We had Mark Kerr's, Charlie McGrews, Stuart yeah. Duffs, all the rest of it, and really love the banter side of it and love the kind of mingling side of it um, but when, when we're working we would work hard we'd work our work our tails off you know so yeah. I don't know it just, it just never it just didn't click I mean the season can't get off to much of a worse start to be fair um, the humiliating 5-1 defeat at home to Sigma Olomouc which sees like you know Stuart Duff being deployed as a auxiliary centre half for the game, you know, followed up by a 3-0 defeat away to, uh, in the Czech Republic, sorry, which is an 8-1 humbling on aggregate. It's kind of a poor start to the season as well. Knocked out the League Cup by Dundee in round three. Um, there's a bit of a bright spark out of nowhere when you scored the only goal in a 1-0 win over Rangers in Petodre in the league, despite the fact that Mark Kerr sent off after 59 minutes. But for you as a player at that point with the way things are going, Having been in and around the Scotland squads as well, you know, in the previous last 12 months, are you starting to think to yourself, maybe it's time I need to think about moving on from here? Um, no, do you know, I never thought about no. it. I never thought about it because I loved it up there. Um, I wanted to graft on and grind through this, the difficult, difficult period. I think the whole the, the European thing really stung us because obviously there was a lot of that squad in the squads that were... Biomunich and Athletic Madrid which just sort of spoken about there so we were kind of we felt as if we could do well in Europe when we get in there and obviously getting that hammer and it just didn't it was just an awful start to the season and it kind of it didn't it didn't do well for us going on to the other things going to the league campaign and stuff and it just never really clicked for us your final goal for the club arrives on the 9th of January a second goal and a 2-0 win over Hearts in the Scottish Cup before a final appearance in red comes in a 3-0 home defeat to Motherwell. And then February 1st, it's announced that you have signed for Middlesbrough, managed by Aberdeen legend Gordon Strachan for a rumoured fee of around £600,000. Tell us, how did that move come about and when did you first hear about the interest from Middlesbrough? It, again, that was strange. It was such a strange experience because it, there was rumours at the start of the season that Gareth Southgate had spoken about myself um, but that's all it was it was just rumours I think he got asked the question he was like mm, we know of him blah 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 and that was it done but nothing was ever said about it until straight after that game 
I get pulled in with the manager and Leachie say, listen, God doesn't want you down, blah, 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 this and that, great opportunity, da, da, da. You're going down tomorrow, you're flying down. I was like, all right, okay. I was still raging with a 3-0 defeat. Um, my mother will at home, I'm thinking, fucking shit, I wanted to score than this. I, wasn't, I didn't play that good. I'm like, fuck's sake. Then he pulled us in there, so it was like, from being totally down to having that news was like, it was just a strange feeling. Um, a feeling of what, I didn't see that coming. I didn't expect that um, off the back of that performance, if anything. It was obviously before that, it was <clears throat> best interest or whatever, but that was the first time I was hearing about it. And then it happened so quickly. Everything happened like boom, 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 boom. And it was an opportunity I couldn't, I couldn't turn down. I couldn't refuse. So it means you leave Aberdeen having made 145 appearances for the Dons, scoring 33 goals. Just a quick one. Out of all the goals you scored for Aberdeen, what would you say is your favourite? Oh, God, that's a good question. Um, I, I love the one the last game of the season against Rangers. Um, the header, the glancing header. Just yeah. uh, remember everything that happened that season. No, just the atmosphere in the place. It was the last game of the season. It was a, it kinda, it was a big goal. Man, I enjoyed that enjoyed that not the overhead kick at the Tannadice no oh I forgot about that my, my leg was hanging off that day by the way I, had a, I kind of pulled fire that's <laughs> just scored quite a good goal against Dundee United at Pataudry as well a long the, range effort the, the 35 yarder yeah. it was our Aye. skate wasn't it was that the one that led to no, our no, skate that's that's no 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 I was in the bench that day I, okay. that was <laughs> a good was goal one that was a good goal I forgot about that but um no, that's just the one that springs to mind and kind of comes up. Um, in fact, I, I actually, pure talking shit now. Um, my first, my first goal for Aberdeen was probably my best. The swivel, the swivel. I uh, that that wee turn, that wee kind of Michael Moles turn inside. It was a left foot. I don't score many goals in my left foot, so that was probably the best one. Uh, it set me off in my Aberdeen career. Rob Jones is still looking for you, I think. Um, he is, I think, Jonah. <laughs> I was going to just say, with those stats, without having the numbers in front of me, I can guarantee there's more assists in there. Yeah. Oh, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, and I, and I loved setting other players up. I don't know. It was midfielder in there. I don't know. It was a period of time, I think, when 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 Charlie McGrew joined Aberdeen. The amount of free kicks that you bought off of centre halves. Yeah, yeah. Which. <laughs> Charlie would then throw a ball, a ball in the box and would either score direct from it or would yeah. score from it. it was ridiculous. Actually, does that count as an assist then? Well, that was my thing. I was always like, they, they should really go down as assist. Yes. It's a, it's a dying art. I speak it about is. it all the time. When I was a manager, I spoke about it. Sometimes you get fouled, but you need to convince the referee it's a foul because it is a foul, but they don't give it unless you're down. So I, I just think, it's like, for me, it's not cheating. It's a part of the game that it's been in the game for so long and it's a dying, a dying arc. You bought an absolute beauty of a penalty kick. I spent a fortune on <laughs> buying free kicks and penalties. <laughs> <laughs> what penalties? Sorry. <laughs> I you to do that, you sorry. bought an absolute beauty of a penalty kick off of Casper Schmeichel, as I remember. He was on loan at Falkirk. It was at Pataudry, Richard Donaldson and it was one of the most horrendous first touches I've ever seen. He comes <laughs> out, aye, he comes out <laughs> And you just you just got to the ball just in front of him, and it was straight over the top. And that was obviously my electric pace. Yeah, that's, <laughs> exactly. that's exactly what it was. <laughs> Fair to say, the move to Middlesbrough doesn't necessarily work out. Oh no, no, definitely not. I was just to say, Gordon Strachan, who's the guy who brings you to Borough, he departs in October, I think. Uh, Tony Mowbray comes in. Um, 
you then kind of spent the majority, I think, of your time at Borough on loan, uh, first at Notts County, then at Scunthorpe. Why do you think it just didn't work out for you at Borough? Change of manager or just... No, not even that. I didn't play much under Gordon Stratton either. Um, it was it was an opportunity I couldn't turn down. I couldn't refuse. Um, I went down there nearly to life, but it was strange because I started the first game away at Ipswich, played all right. We got I think we got a one inch draw or something, and then I never really featured after that. And I thought, and I actually went in to see Gordon um, one of the times, and I thought. Because I was, I was the only one that kind of wasn't given a chance. And all the, play, the players were saying to me, listen, what, what's happened here? You're training well, you're doing well, and it, you're not getting a sniff. What, why is that? And I was like, I have no idea. So I went in to see him, and I, I spoke to him and said, listen, Gaff, I just want to speak to you. Like, feel as if I'm doing really well in training and reserve games, and I don't feel as if I'm getting an opportunity. And it just, you know what Gordon Strang's like? He can, he can just, he can turn you down to that in and, and one comment. And he just went, I well, don't agree with that. Don't agree with anything you said there. Uh, just, I'm like, where do you go from there? It's like, I think I'm doing well. He says, no, nah, don't think you're doing anything um, that I've asked you to do well. And it was like, okay, so where did we go? <laughs> He's like, that's just the way it is. You're not doing this, you're not doing that. And like, it was just, it was one of those ones where we're never going to get to a place and but I'd rather they kind of was up front with us and say, listen, you won't feature. You won't yeah. feature. Go out and loan. Go there. Do whatever. Whereas nobody came in said, listen, I want a different type of striker. Small, nippy, in behind. I'm not going to use you. So you're free to go. Whatever. And that was fine. That was totally fine. I disagreed with him. I did feel if he wanted to win the championship, he needs plan A, plan B, and yeah. possibly plan C. Um, so he's a different type of striker to change games at different uh, moments in time but that's that was his opinion he was up front with us and that's what kind of led us to go elsewhere Speaking of which in August 2011 you make the move to Carlisle United where you stay for three seasons scoring 32 goals in 98 games before returning north to Scotland uh, a two-year deal signed with Kilmarnock you make 22 appearances and then you return to Falkirk the following summer where you make a further 90 appearances, scoring 21 goals, working under Peter Houston, and then laterally, Paul Hartley. Are we right to think, or is it fair to say that maybe yourself and Paul didn't necessarily see eye to eye? Um, do you know what? It was, it was difficult because we were teammates at Hearts. We were teammates at Hearts. We used to travel in together now and again. Um, and for some reason... It just didn't. It didn't work. Whether he felt threatened by myself and Kerzo, whatever it is, it just it just didn't happen. Um, whereas we were basically been made scapegoats. I think we were kind of been hung out to dry, been told that we were turning the dressing room against them, which wasn't the case. We were keeping everybody on board. He came in and said, basically, there's going to be eight or nine new players coming in in January. So all the players right away will come to us because we were the experienced ones. I knew Paul Hartley. Well, is that going to be me? Does that mean I'm going to be out? I said, listen, just buy into whatever he's doing, see what happens. That's all you can do. That's all you can do. So we just try and keep the boys on board, keep the boys on board. Then we get slung out. <laughs> we get chucked out, basically. So it was like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just that it was a totally strange experience. Totally strange experience because it's a club that was really close to my heart. Um, I, I was brought up with the club. Um, 
my debut years and it was just everything about it felt wrong. Um, the youth academy getting scrapped, experienced players that meant a lot to the club out the door, everything that happened so was just getting ripped out of the club and it was it was gutting to see. I mean, you don't have to go into any specifics, but there was rumours that when the Youth Academy got scrapped and you were a part of the coaching setup there, weren't you? Yeah. Uh, there was rumours of a, a confrontation and that's effectively what led to you leaving. Is there any any truth in that? Um, no, it was nothing to do with it. It was nothing to do with Youth Academy. I took I took the 20s. I took the 20s because I was helping out with Alan Mabry um, before Peter Houston and them left. And then I took over in the 20s. I was still taking the 20s uh, every week. That that didn't get scrapped as such. It was the the whole academy below that get scrapped. So I was still taking that um, every week, which was fine. Uh, it was giving me a good a bit of experience of coaching and stuff. Uh, but no, it was nothing. It was nothing to do with that kind of aspect of it. No. And it's fair to say, I mean, like we, we don't need to talk about that too much just now. But you know, if you've got an interest in Scottish football and you just take a cursory glance, like Falkirk fan boards or whatever these days at the moment, Falkirk are in real dire straits at the moment. And that decision to scrap that, the Youth Academy project is just, it seems like one that just continues to kind of come back to to, to bite Falkirk on the arse to a particular extent. But we'll, we'll yeah. maybe come back to that. I mean, as it is, it means obviously you move to Livingston um, and kind of unbelievably almost to an extent help the Lions uh, to promotion to the Premiership in your first season via the playoffs, which also included a memorable Willow Flood red card, as I recall, in the semi-final at Tannadice. <laughs> we were just talking about Willow before we came on air. The angriest man in football. Yes. Uh, what a boy. A 3-1 win, though, for Livy over Park this on the final, securing a return to the top flight. Just for you, like, in your career, you've, you've done a lot in your career, but where does that kind of rank in, like, the kind of achievement pile? Because where Livy had come from... It's way up there. Way up there. Um, that whole experience, like myself signing in the January along with Ryan Hardy in the same week, um, see the first maybe three weeks of us being there, we hardly trained at the stadium because I don't know if you remember, but it was it was like a proper blizzard every day. Yeah, you yeah, couldn't yeah. train anywhere, so we were doing indoor fives constantly in different areas, in different places in Edinburgh and all scattered about. So we were getting the minibus out to these five-a-side pitches, getting me five-o's and uh, David Hopkins and uh, David Martindale would join in, the coaching staff would join in and just get a round robin and stuff. It was mad. It was absolutely mad. But the togetherness, the team spirit, everything about that club, and it's still to this day, is incredible. And it's all down to David Martindale. It's all down to David Martindale. Talk to us a little bit about Dave Martindale. Incredible character. Incredible. I got so much time for him. He's um I've got a really good relationship with him. He was one of the main reasons I, I signed at Livingston. Um speaking to him um when everything did happen with Paul Hartley. Um he was great and was a real big influence. Him as as well as David Hopkins was. Um but <clears throat> I had kind of most of my my um experiences and conversations with David Martindale. So no, it was it was an incredible achievement from Livingston to go on the bounce to get up to the Premier League was incredible. And everything about the club, the from the chef to the everything was just together. Together. We used to have ice baths every single day after training. We used to have triple sessions. Everybody was buying into the kit man, Cheb used to take sessions in the morning, first thing before training, weight sessions. We were so fit and together with everything that we'd done. 
just gonna say that um, the playoffs are great value for entertainment, even if you don't have an, like a vested interest mm-hmm. in them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I'm, I'm not just saying this just because you're on the show. But Lee, I remember watching the four games against United and Park, and you were excellent in those games. And yeah, played a really big yeah. part in that. Do you know what? Do you know a big reason for that? Not a big reason, but that was my third time in the playoffs. A two with Falkirk. I get so close and get injured in the last kind of. Kind of missed out in the last two games against Kilmarnock, but we we get so close with Falkirk. We got to the final. We beat Kilmarnock one nothing at home, and then get battered second the second leg. And then the following season with Dundee United, we got semi finals. So to finish up so close to that, I, I said to the boys, I said to all the squad when I went in when we got to the playoffs, I said, "Listen, I am not getting beat in these playoffs. Simple as that." And they kind of looked at me and a lot of them looked at me and thought, he actually means this. I had fucking drip, drip, uh, blood coming off my eye and battered bruise there, nose over there. And I just said, I am not getting beat. I am going to, through these playoffs, we're getting in the Premier League. Simple as that. Simple as that. And the boys kind of went, you know what, he, he actually means this here. He means business here. And you could see it. In <laughs> I still get the scars to prove it. Like, I loved every single minute of it. I ran my socks off. It's <laughs> yeah. probably most I've ever worked in my life, man. <laughs> Gav's right. I remember the second leg against United at Tannadice. Like, you were like a man possessed, actually, that evening. That's, that's exactly what it was, and that's why. I could never put my fingers on if it was because it was United as well. Like, there was a wee bit of, you know, because of how things worked out there for you. But also, just hearing it now from you, is just like, it was just that drive to, to succeed. Um yeah. Fast forward though to November 2019, um, Falkirk come calling again for you, yourself and mm-hmm. um, Dave McCracken are appointed yep. uh, interim co-managers to begin with, confirmed as permanent later on. Did you kind of feel that you were ready to step into management or was this just a case of, this is a club that's so close to my heart, I can't say no to this? Yeah, if it was any other club, I wouldn't have done it. I wouldn't have done it um, because it was Falkirk, because I felt I could make a difference um, getting in with myself and David. Um, and I loved it. I loved every minute of it. Loved it. See the man management side of it. Um, had the players, we had the team playing really well. And then fucking COVID hit. <laughs> Unbelievable. You can do all the coaching courses in the world, but for that to hit, nobody can prepare you. And obviously it's in every aspect of life, but for a young manager to take your first job as a co-manager, getting your team, you're one point off it, bang, it's taken away. You've still got to play these teams, you still got to play Ray Rovers last game of the season. You're on a high, you're on a good run. Taking away from me, you stay down, Rafe go up, done. It was it was devastating, absolutely devastating. Um, but the, the following season, we, we brought some other players in, some fresh faces in, and we're top of the league most of the season. We get knocked off the top spot and then get a sack. That's basically it. And then they think, obviously, they'd done it for whatever reason and thought they would get a bounce from Gary Holt and things never worked out and they didn't even make the playoffs. So it's just, it's just, it was gutting. It was absolutely gutting because we felt if we got to the end of the season and we didn't get promoted, do you know what? We never done the job that we set out to do, but we to stop it with four games to go and then they don't even get the playoffs was was gutting. I mean, regarding that decision to um, release you and, and David from your position, was there... What reason was given to you by the by the board there? Um, we wanted uh, to go in a different direction, basically. Um, 
don't know, the performances weren't good enough or results weren't good enough, but we still felt that we could have got Falkirk promoted. Simple as that. Whether they did or not or whether it was already done before that, I don't know. I don't know. But um, we are, uh, listen, I'm proud of what I've done there. Myself and David, what we created, the, the positive environment that we created for the players to go and learn and thrive on and we played some really good football at times and we just we just fell short. And well, as it is, Falkirk, they only take one point out of the remaining four and they fall out of the playoff spots completely and remain in League One to this uh, to this day. Since leaving Falkirk, you signed up at East Kilbride and you've started up your own barbering business. Yes. Um, for those that have not seen the uh, the feature you did with... Probably can't tell that. <laughs> it's looking good, man. It's looking good. Um, for those who have not seen the feature on BBC with Jonathan Sutherland, tell us about what made you take that decision to step into a, a new career. Do you know what? It all boils down to lockdown. Um, through lockdown, I started cutting my kids' hair because obviously I'm the haircut. Um, I quite enjoyed that. I've always been quite out there in my haircuts and hairstyles, as you probably no. can imagine. <laughs> bleached here and there mullets here and there hairbands so I've kind of kind of been into that kind of thing and everything that happened with Falkirk I thought see if I don't do it now I'll never do it um, and with everything that happened at Falkirk it left a sour taste in my mouth I didn't want anything to do with football I didn't I took I didn't watch a game I didn't read a comment I didn't I just took myself completely away from it because you're so you're so invested as a manager, yeah, as co-manager anyway, as a manager, you're totally invested. I had to go and get to know my my wife, my kids, again, because you're 24-7 being a manager. And it's, you have to be. You have to be so uh, involved in it, absorbed in it, um, and it takes up all your time. So I had to go and start to get to try and know my kids and my family again, basically. But that's what kind of pushed me and my wife, my wife supported me, my, my family supported me all the way with us. And it's something that it, it wasn't easy to do. It wasn't easy. I, I can remember signing up for a course in Glasgow, um, Scottish Barbering School. And I was standing outside the, it's again a shop kind of school later, but I'm standing outside and I'm thinking, what am I doing here? <laughs> what the fuck am I doing here? And I just thought, do you know what? What does it matter? Let's just go. Let's just, what's the worst that can happen? Um, and then obviously put myself through a course and, and hair systems. And and it's just, it's taken off. It's been so good. It's been so good. I've got a really good clientele. I've got, I think I've got 30 plus um, system wearers. Um, and it's just, it's it's been great. And I'm in uh, my mate's shop over in Hamilton, the old Anvil hair room. It's 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 been totally different. Totally different. It's been so good. Who's the toughest bar that you've had to do? It must be Jonathan Sutherland's. There's not a lot to work with there, eh? Do you know, the thing is, see with that, right, Jonathan's a, a client of mine now. Um, so I cut him every kind of four weeks or something like that. But see, actually doing a haircut, being under interview mode, so hard. Yeah. You've got to obviously watch what you're saying and make sure you're saying things right, really think about your answers. Whereas... You can banter and cut hair at the same time, but being in interview mode is completely different. That was that was really difficult. I was sweating my off. <laughs> <laughs> you kind of touched on it there after you left Falkirk, had kind of no real interest in the game at all. 
But now you've had a bit of time out. Any ambitions at all to kind of get back into the game on a coaching or a managerial side? Or <laughs> nah, not really. Yeah. Just nah. I'm kind of, I touched on it there. I, I want to try and get into the kind of cool commentary, the punditry side of things. But I'm more than happy. My son, my 15 year old son, he'll be getting full time in the summer. Hopefully, fingers crossed. He's at Motherwell just now. He's doing really well. He's in the Scotland 16s, 17s. I'm more than happy to just pass the baton on to him and and watch him flourish. Yeah, he's doing really well. Well, we're just, I was just going to really, really quickly touch on Lennon actually, because he got like goal, goal of the season last year, didn't he? Goal of the year, and yeah. I was actually cutting his hair at the time, right? Gets a skin fade every week, so I'm cutting his hair, and it's like, oh, Dad, did you hear I was uh, voted for goal of the year for Scotland? I mean, all right, do you know anybody that's you're up against for that? Because I just, I just assumed it was a youth thing. He's only 15; he was 14 at the time he scored his goal. Um, he's like, John McGinn, and this, <laughs> and I was like, sorry. <laughs> so I had, to look at it, I had to look it up and say, Len, you know, that's quite a big thing. He's like, ah, he's just so chilled. He's just a chilled out big guy that loves football. That's all he is. And he's got his head focused and he's uh, he's just a good kid, man. A really Love good it. kid. Great stuff. Excellent. Excellent. Lee, we'll wrap things up here. We thank oh, you so much for your time. We have one final question for you. And it's the question that all of our guests get at the end of the interview. Lee Miller. What does Aberdeen Football Club mean to you? Oh, Aberdeen Football Club means so much to me. And my family, I was up there and obviously Lennon was, Lennon was five or six days old when I was up there. And I owe a lot to Aberdeen, not just for myself. Lennon watched me every single game. Every single game he was at, he took so much in from Aberdeen and obviously the club's after that as well. But that's where he kind of started loving football. You know, so not only for me, but for Lennon, obviously in his career, hopefully his career takes off and he goes to do big things. But no, I, I loved it up there. And every time I go back up, I get such a, a warm welcome and I've got fond, fond memories of European trips and all that kind of stuff and the, the last minute goals and the last games of the season going into Europe and all that kind of stuff and the McAlambe, um First class finishing myself, uh, that's one that holds. <laughs> but no, I, I love it up there and the fans and everything about it is like I say, and, and maybe I was ignorant to it, I didn't realise how big a club Aberdeen was until I went up there. It is huge. And uh, I love my team there. Really enjoyed it. Lee Miller, top man. Thank you for taking some time out to join us on the ABZ Football Podcast. Stand free. Thank you very much. See you guys later. Cheers. So that wraps up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thank you, Neil Faki, for joining us. Hope you've had a, I was going to say, an enjoyable evening. Tolerable. It's, uh, I think it's almost like uh, a therapy session, so I've quite enjoyed it. I've come out a little bit more positive, so thank you, gents. Oh, you're absolutely welcome. Listen, we'll maybe get you back on again in the, in the near future to talk all things Dons. We might even touch on your other team, Ultra Gym, if we've got the opportunity to do next time out. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow whatever on your podcast player of choice. Join us next week for episode 42, where we'll look back our fixture with Dundee in the SPFL Premiership. We'll review our... Blah, we'll preview our pair of away fixtures with Hibernian and St. Johnston, and we'll bring you all of our usual coverage of the women's team and the young team. We'll look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Jed McPhee and Flexiboard. 
FlexiBoard is an adjustable height dartboard frame that slides from full height to 150cm and 137cm, opening the game up to allow juniors and wheelchair users to play on the same board against anyone. Perfect for use in the house, pubs or youth academies. Get in touch by searching at FlexiBoards on Twitter. If you're looking for a bullseye, make FlexiBoards your first stop at FlexiBoards on Twitter.